This is Spartan 117. Anyone hear me? Over. Isolate that signal. Master Chief, you mind telling me what you're doing on that ship? Sir, finishing this fight. Welcome back to Finish the Fight, a Halo podcast. I'm your host, Jesse Reiners. And I'm your host, Alex Kendall. And as always, let's talk about some community updates right before we go into today's amazing episode. So first off, I want to say by the time you're hearing this episode, you will be playing Halo Reach on either Xbox One or PC, maybe both. I don't know. However you want to do it. But either way, a big moment is finally happening. We are going to have reach yeah so we're going to see a, a lot of improvements with it obviously one of the first ports in a long time since 2015 mm-hmm. um that we're really seeing anything coming to it which is pretty cool i uh, got a new forge gonna have some like crazy options it looks like with vehicles gonna and get weird grunts and weird shit and prop hunt part two and we'll see it all it'll be fun yeah so so tell us what you've done with forge and everything else and how you feel about Reach on PC or Xbox One by the time you listen to this episode. So the only other thing that kind of came to light for me is very bizarre and interesting is that Reddit user a twerking Yoshi, it's actually a twerkin Yoshi, no G, posted on Reddit that he beat Halo 3 on Legendary with a Guitar Hero controller. So if you think you've ever accomplished anything, just know it's not as, I don't, I don't know if I say cool, it's not as interesting as that. When it comes to Halo 3. Sure, we'll say that. <laughs> but I, I just found that so bizarre, and I thought I'd just throw that in, because honestly, who thinks to do that? Yeah, it's pretty cool. There's been a lot of games where people have beat it, like Dark Souls has been beating a guitar your controller. How? I can't beat that with a regular controller. Yeah, well, other people are good. So <laughs> there's that. All right, so yeah, that being said, let's get into the meat and potatoes of today's episode. We are going to be covering Halo 3 ODST. I know this is an episode that people have been looking forward to for a while. We've put up some polls or some questions on Instagram talking about, you know, what's an episode that you're looking forward to most. And a lot of people said ODST. So here we are. I know we posted in our Discord. Everyone was super excited. So, yeah, we're here now. It actually came out 10 years ago. It's it's 10 years old now. So that's like what? Fourth grade? It's in fourth grade now or something? Fourth or fifth grade? Sure. <laughs> but yeah, so this is definitely a game that's gone down as a fan favorite, and it really defied the odds in terms of, you know, production and with, with you know, the separation of Microsoft at the time. This game was scrambled together last minute, and somehow we still got this this masterpiece that a lot of people would say, myself included. Yeah, I mean, it goes back and forth because I know it's the first mainline FPS for it that didn't include Chief. Mm-hmm. So I know when we get to the reviews, it's a big thing that people harped on mm-hmm. um, that's not part of that. But most importantly for this game is one of my favorite modes yet. There was a firefight! And that's all that matters and that's all I cared about in the entire episode. <laughs> what did you get? <laughs> you know what? Not going to question that. You don't like some Boondock Saints? I love me some Boondock Saints. <laughs> but yeah, firefight. So this is the first time we're going to see it. We see it in so kind of the wave defense games Mm -hmm. Uh, we're seeing gears we're seeing halo at this point we're gonna you know dive into that a bit more but that i know for me was a huge draw for replayability Mm -hmm. for odst in and of itself Mm -hmm. yeah so that being said let's talk about the game halo 3 odst is the fourth first person shooter game developed by bungie and released by microsoft in the halo franchise though it is the fifth halo game overall 
This game tells the story of the split-up group of ODST Alpha 9 trying to find their way back to one another while uncovering a secret beneath the city of New Mombasa. It was released September 22nd, 2009. So, during the development of Halo 3, Bungie would look to become an independent company. After some negotiations, Bungie would be given their freedom. Halo would still be a Microsoft IP, and Bungie would have to produce three titles before they left. One of these would be Halo 3. We kind of talked about that in our Halo 3 episode. I know we have a, a bonus episode coming out here soon that's all about canceled Halo projects. So we'll, you know, we reference that here soon. But in the midst of Halo 3's development, some employees would start to work on Halo Reach, which was the final game they were going to develop, final Halo game from Microsoft. Mm-hmm. From, but, from Bungie. Mm-hmm, yeah, but the middle game was going to be developed by Peter Jackson. So back in 2006, Jackson announced that he would be working on a new game, Halo Chronicles, along with a Halo movie. The movie would eventually be canceled, and with it, the game would eventually be canceled too. Now, Bungie originally thought that they would be off the hook when it came the development for that middle game. But Microsoft still wanted three Halo games from Bungie. This became a problem very quickly for Bungie because they wanted out of Microsoft, but they had to now scramble to deliver that second Halo project to Microsoft. Microsoft did, however, allow Bungie to make it a smaller project. So they said, you don't really need to work from the ground up. You can give us something small. So that leads us to Paul Bertone and Joe Stedden, who were part of the original core Chronicles team, the Jackson game. Mm-hmm. Um, and so as that started to crumble, you know, they were told by Microsoft, especially Bungie, that if they had an idea for a game to run with it. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of where ODST leads us into. Mm-hmm. You know, they were told that they wouldn't be getting much engineering support. And it also had to use the Halo 3 engine so that they could save time instead of having to build a whole new one. Mm-hmm. And so the only thing that could really help with them was to add shaders to better impact with the visor mode, uh, which makes sense. You kind of have to have that in there mm-hmm. to kind of yeah. show the whole change of it. So using an already established engine also helped production not encounter near as many bugs when developing the game, so having to build it the ground up, like we said. Yeah. All upgrades made were also due to the fact that Bungie had more experience with the Xbox developing Halo ODST than they did Halo 3. So obviously, as we continue on, they already had the Halo 3 engine built. Mm-hmm. They're basically creating another game within that engine, kind of like what you would do with you had Frost or if you had Unreal, you kind of already have those bearings built. So you're just improving on them. And so, and they did that. And so after three or four months, they would have the engine mostly polished up, allowing them to focus on other aspects of the game. They did face a challenge when it came to creating the giant open world city of New Mombasa since the Halo 3 engine was not designed to create large open spaces because obviously they're large, but they're linear. Mm -hmm. And with New Mombasa being able to almost explore everything right away and having little to no load time, I mean, that's that's pretty big on an engine. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and it somehow worked thankfully yeah but yeah so having staten in the writer's chair re-sparked his love for in-game storytelling so you know the second that this idea was pitched to him or at least he they started discussing odst he was on board and he wanted it to be a noir detective story in the halo universe and since microsoft originally decided to work on chronicles internally before canceling it that freed up time for joe to work on what was at the time called halo 3 
Recon. Mm -hmm. Now, the game was originally going to be a DLC for Halo 3, titled Halo 3 Recon. It would also include new multiplayer maps. This was going to be a short side story that had nothing to do with the Chief. And this would also fulfill that contract with Microsoft because this would be that second game. So, Staten, Bertone, and a few other Bungie employees spent a month in a room conceptualizing the game. Early concepts of the game were originally, you know, going to have the player play as a young Johnson in the war, along with a different concept was that it was just going to be a regular Marine with a group of Spartans. It's kind, of, kind of like you would think of like Star Wars Battlefront. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but eventually they would settle on ODSTs. Once a proposal and budget were in place, studio head Harold Ryan greeted the project. They were, they were given about three months of pre-production versus the whole year that Halo 3 had for pre-production. So you could already see the differences in the two. Yeah, and, and it makes sense because obviously this is kind of what they pitched as a spinoff game. Mm -hmm. We're not having to write in the canonical lore. We're not having to kind of advance what we already know. It's a whole side story of characters that were already built and assets used from Halo 3. Mm -hmm. So in you know on, on one side of the aspect and one side of the aisle, you see that that makes sense. Three months to conceptualize your characters, your story, which, like we said, is not necessarily going to be chief canonical. So you can kind of tell it however you want, as long as it's staying within that universe. Mm -hmm. And just giving players an interesting aspect into the game. Because you're not having to build the multiplayer. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they were they were just going to use that at the time. Exactly. Because that, that was the idea, is we're just kind of building a story, and it, were, and it was kind of a win-win. We finish a game up, and, it, and it's not a full main Halo game, so we're, you know, we're not doing that much, which is kind of nice to get uh, you know out of the Microsoft contract. Mm -hmm. Exactly. So yeah, let's start talking about developing Halo 3 ODST, or still at the time it was Halo 3 Recon. Mm -hmm. So according to Paul Bertone, employees would receive royalties based on the project they worked on. So, smaller project, smaller payout. This became a problem as no one wanted to help work on this game, and getting the resources for it was a knockdown drag out. But they pushed through, even though originally the game was only going to be a two to three hour mini campaign. Also, another problem was getting it done in time. The game was being developed during Reach's pre-production and conceptual stages. So all the environment artists and designers would be pulled from ODST the moment Reach was ready for them. So kind of like the ticking time bomb. Mm, uh, we need to get this done now. Yeah, because, the, you know, the Reach was the overall priority. This was kind of secondary, so... It, I know part part of Bungie was like, yeah, like however that game performs, it doesn't really matter because it's just to get us out of this contract. But then you yeah. had guys like like Joe, Marty, and Paul who were all like, no, this needs to be a masterpiece. Mm -hmm. Like that's what they were aiming for. So Bertone and Staten didn't want the player to feel as powerful as they had in the past three Halo games. In the past three Halo games, because obviously not the chief, mm -hmm. you're an ODST. There were several things they wanted to do differently with ODST making a more quote-unquote open world game and telling the same story from multiple perspectives. They also wanted to introduce elements into the game that could potentially be used for future titles. So a little bit of that canonical idea, but to, you know, bounce off of, to kind of, you know, mm -hmm. come back to it. So during the storyboard and concept phase of the game, Martin O'Donnell would write some music based off of what he saw planned out. Later on, the team planned on taking the game a different direction, but O'Donnell insisted that they keep the ideas they had due to the fact that he just wrote a piece for the game he didn't want to scrap. And that makes sense. That's like, incredible. People give you the idea on the concept, and mm -hmm. you're like, I'm, no, 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 I've already done it. Yeah. Well, especially Marty. I mean, I, I, I know a lot of artists take pride in their work, but I mean, 
Marty really does. And I think it's good that he was like, no, I'm writing this piece. Just just keep it like I, I and like, luckily, they didn't go a different kind of direction. They still wanted that somber rainy night. Cause mm-hmm. I think they were going to make things a little more straightforward actiony. But luckily he was like, no, no, no. I already have my stuff, so you have to, you have now, to build around it now. Yeah, you have to build around my music, because yeah. that's how most games do it. <laughs> yeah, so the direction would be shifted, though, to, to make Halo 3 ODST a more stealth-based game after Bertone did a mock-up on the Silence SMG and Pistol. They also wanted to add the new Mombasa hub in, giving you an opportunity to explore the city before you take another step into it. Alongside that, they wanted the city to interact with you and help you discover the audio logs for Sadie's story. Stanton had gotten his inspiration for Sadie's story from Dante's Inferno and the Divine Comedy. I don't see the connection, but that's what he said, and so I think that's kind of incredible. I mean, it kind of makes sense. It's kind of like the no matter what, you're kind of effed. Yeah, true. Yeah, and, and for Sadie's story, they would work with Fourth Wall Entertainment to help develop it. Did they break it? <laughs> hey, it's the dad joke of the year. Here yeah, we go. go. Hashtag dad joke of the year. Well, thank God the new year's right around the corner. Hey, so we'll, I'm get done. One. we'll get one here real soon. So originally the phones you hear ringing sometimes uh, around the city were supposed to always be heard ringing and we're supposed to going to help guide you through the city. But early on, Bungie decided to make the superintendent, who is the the city AI, mm-hmm. a more passive presence than an active one. Could you could you imagine that if just oh, every God. payphone constantly rang? You're like, I know I'm in a firefight right now. Let me handle this, and I'll keep going, city. I, I think it was like one of those things where it's like it got louder as you got to the next one. Like you know, it started getting louder and louder. Yeah, no, the proximity based idea much better. It, it kind of only, it kind of reminds me now of uh, Breath of the Wild. Every time you get near a shrine, it, it starts beeping <laughs> yeah. more and more, and you're like, kill me. I hate this. Even though the project was growing quickly, and the team were doing more than they thought they originally were going to be able to do, they eventually had to dial back their vision. The team originally wanted two open world city sections, so kind of having this idea of like two different hubs you can kind of cross between. Two different neighborhoods, yeah. essentially. Yeah, I mean, which which a lot of open games have to kind of mm-hmm. like differentiate and give you an idea of going back and forth or progression. Mm-hmm. The decision to make the game based only on Earth came from two factors. One, limited time, budget, and resources. And two, fan feedback from Halo 2. So, m- more than two. I'll continue with that. Yeah. Fans originally wanted the fight on Earth to be more in-depth, since Halo 2's advertising suggested it would be. Granted, this game wouldn't focus too much on Earth's defense. It would still be a setting fans were wanting since Halo 2. Because obviously with Halo 2, we saw a lot more focus on the Arbiter and going to the Covenant worlds Mm -hmm. and just off-world planets and things like that. And I know people missed out on, especially me, more of the human maps, where you're actually seeing city and you're going through, like, you know, slums, or you're going through like different buildings. Like mm-hmm. that to me gave so much more of an impact than any of the kind of alien world stuff or, you know, different flood options you had really going yeah. on with it. Well, it was a 2005 or 2006 mm-hmm. E3 demo was all in in the city of Voy or New Mombasa or yeah. whatever. And then, you know, the tagline was Earth will never be the same. But then when you only get two missions in Earth, that's when everyone's like, what the hell? So this was definitely a way for them to say, okay, here is what Earth looks like right now. Kind of this is, you know, during Halo, this is during Halo 2 in the timeline right after they, the Covenant, get out of the city. 
But I mean, if you played the game, you already know that. Yeah, and and especially if if you had been following all of the media at the time and seeing the comics based in New Mombasa or in the different sections of Old Mombasa, like mm-hmm. so it. it it's really the city that kept drawing you back in and to be mm-hmm. able to see it and explore it. And it's one of the first times where it really, for me, felt interesting to explore around a Halo map. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, New Mombasa is kind of like uh, Vegas for the Hangover trilogy. Mm-hmm. They always just keep going back to it. Exactly. There's your obscure reference for the day. You have your dad joke in, I have my obscure reference, we can move on. I'll take it. Yeah, so now let's move on to later stages of development. So, originally, Microsoft had told Bungie that they had the rights to use the name Recon from the Tom Clancy developers, though the developers that were on the Ghost Recon team weren't thrilled about that word being used in a Halo title. So, you know, this was after the fact that around 2008, they, uh, Bungie and Microsoft released a trailer that said Halo 3 Recon on it. So, mm-hmm. instantly, you know, they, they were kind of in trouble with that. So, the title was later changed to Halo 3 ODST. This change happened sometime around October 2008 to January 2009. Microsoft Saving Face publicly stated that the name change was simply due to help showcase the stars of the game. So their their PR guy kind of was like, just just uh. say it's uh the, they're checking out the city. <laughs> but we named it ODST now, which is the actual name of the outfit they're part of. Hmm. Well, they're just looking at it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it was definitely kind of an ordeal, but luckily Microsoft wasn't married to Halo 3 Recon, so they just snuffed the name. Well, yeah, it's now worth the legal battle. <laughs> just just change the name of this throwaway game we're making. I don't think they actually even talked to them at all because they're like, yeah, they said the, the Tom Clancy group said it was okay. I asked the guy who works in their building, uh, Paul, he makes the sandwiches. He <laughs> said that Gary wouldn't mind if we use that. Um, I also got a free sandwich out of it just to let you know, but... Uh, he says, cool. Um, if you don't mind, I think we just go along with it. I, if, if he said so, I think we should. And I think that's exactly how it went down. <laughs> but yeah, so some new nuances that were different from all the previous Halo games is that Staten wanted the characters to have more dialogue with one another whenever something specific was happening, like low health or ammo. Something like that that was missing from the first three games that mm-hmm. he really always wanted was... If, and it's something I actually didn't notice until researching it, and then I replayed the campaign, is the dialogue that's always going along with them. Yeah, to kind of make you feel like you're part of a team. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, also, when it came to casting for the game, Staten and O'Donnell were huge Serenity fans and looked to Nathan Fillion, Alan Tudyk, and Adam Baldwin, who had all previously lent their voices to Halo 3, along with Trisha Helfer. Fillion and Helfer would actually record their lines together in the same room, and most of the combat dialogue in the game that we talked about mm-hmm. was improvised from the main actors. Yeah, so give an idea, like, alright, so here's your scene, and go. Yeah, and, and even a lot of, like, 99% of the goofy things that Buck says in the game were, were absolutely improvised. Like, uh, Bam said the lady, and a few other things. Like, it was cool that they're just like, eh, you know, do it. Well, especially it, if it's like, all right, you've got an hour and a half in the VO booth, just go for it. Mm-hmm. And the fact that they were such big fans of Serenity and Firefly mm-hmm. that they're like, we, we need these guys back. And what's great is that Fillion himself was actually a longtime Halo fan. So that led, you know, both parties. So we've got Fillion over here, and we've got Bungie over here. We're ready to work with one another again after Fillion's small role in Halo 3. Mm-hmm. In fact, Fillion himself, as we said before, is a legitimate Halo fan. Not just a guy who's like, oh, you know, I've played the games a couple times. You know, I've done yeah, this. Yeah, I like the game. How much are you paying me? Yeah, and he, <laughs> and he actually would often play it in his spare time during the Halo 2 days, having land parties with his friends. So mm-hmm. bringing people over, having that crazy fun. And like, and obviously, those are those projects where someone approaches you and is like, 
you want to be in the game you love? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Let's talk numbers, but yeah. Uh, so he also states that Xbox Live is a great way to connect with his friends all over the U.S. and Canada. He would also occasionally visit Bungie during development of Halo ODST. And since ODST, he has gone on to state that he puts his faith in Bungie. So he's, mm-hmm. he's trying to say that, you know, he's worked on three in a small role. He's come to ODST as a main character at this point. And after visiting Bungie and kind of being raised, not raised on Bungie, but yeah, kind of raised, raised on, by Bungie. Raised by Bungie. <laughs> um, Bungie and the Bungieites. That he's kind of put trust in them and says that they, they know what they're doing. You're going to like this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah, ODST would be a smooth ride when it came to creating the game compared to all other of the previous titles, since it was the first and the only Halo game from Bungie using an existing engine, rather than having to create a new one from the ground up. With an established engine, developers wouldn't have to worry about the game crashing constantly while it was being created. Now, when the game was also in development, it was going to be originally a Halo campaign expansion for $30, but Microsoft saw it as more than that and told Bungie, you know, you're kind of getting pretty far with this. It's going to be a full game now, and we're going to sell it for 60 mm-hmm. upon release, and it's going to be around Christmas 2009. And I think they wanted to push it back maybe even to 2010, I don't remember, but I think dropping that ball on them kind of screwed a lot of things up because yeah. they felt like they didn't they they felt like they almost didn't have enough for $60. Like 30 was going to be perfect, but crap. But, yeah, but Microsoft was like, "Okay, you've actually exceeded our expectation and you've put a little too much content into it." So it's a full game now. Yeah, you 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 know, you put about $35, $40 worth of content in it. Yeah. Now we want $60. Yeah, yeah. So, so make another, uh, you know, third of this game, please. Yeah. So yeah, the team working on ODST now had the task of delivering a game that was worth $60. And this would solidify Sadie's story in the game, giving it the replay value that it needed. Though initially a lot of players were not happy with the, with the price hike, not knowing what the game would hold at the time. Bungie was also getting flack for this, but they kept publicly stating, we don't control the price. Microsoft does. Our boss does. Our publishers do. Yeah, like, you you, you can't... I mean, people were getting mad, but they, you know... You're getting they, mad at the wrong people. It's, yeah. It's like, we're the developers and the creators. The publisher's the one who sets all that stuff up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I read multiple interviews. We're like, why is the price hike? And all of them were like, we don't control that. Yeah. Like, we can't. Sorry. Like... But yeah, it went from, we have something pretty good to, oh shit, now we have to deliver way more content now. Mm-hmm. And by the end of it, Staten would say that anyone who worked on ODST would have the most fun they've ever had developing a Halo game. So this is, you know, technically the fifth game, but the fourth most of these probably worked on mm-hmm. if they stayed that long. And that's a big... Which most of these guys have been there since Halo. Yeah, and, that, and, that's, and that's a big say. Mm-hmm. And so for the final project of Reach, Staten and Bertone felt revitalized and were ready to tackle it. Staten would also say that it was his favorite story and he was also very proud of Sadie's story. Bertone said it's his top project at Bungie and that it's the game he's most proud of. Lars Bakken stated that some development practices from ODST made their way into Reach's development. He would also state he is most proud of Firefight. Yeah, I think that was like, I think that was the first game he worked on, and he he did so much for that game. So, mm-hmm. you know, with the gameplay and everything, especially Firefight, definitely think Lars Bakken, and we'll talk about it here soon, Tim Williams. Those two guys mm-hmm. made Firefight what it was. So, Halo 3 ODST was only developed by a group of, I think it was anywhere from 20 to 40. I've seen different numbers kind multiple of, times. And it might have been who was contracted, mm-hmm. who came in and did certain things. Yeah. yeah, but I think 20 people at least at any given time, and then maybe 40 at most. 
and this all happened within a little over a year. Production would actually be complete by May 2009, giving Bungie the rare opportunity to not have to focus on too much of post-production while working on their marketing efforts for the game. Even though the game was finished early, it still had to be done by the usual Bungie grind with a lot of days and nights considering the timeline they had for it. Martin O'Donnell said that Halo 3 ODST was the first Halo game developed by Bungie employees and not Microsoft employees. Yeah. I love that. He was, I remember watching a video where he said that he was so proud, like to be able to say, because it, it, it was, it was the first game developed by Bungie mm-hmm. and not Microsoft. Yeah. So, so they're, they're you know, they're getting their legs. Mm-hmm. what it feels like. And so to wrap this up, kind of what, you know, how it came about, some additional trivia for you. The original working title was Atlas. ODST took some inspiration from Bioshock, which is pretty awesome. Great mm-hmm. game to pull from. Uh, you can kind of see in the visuals a little bit. Uh, the Connect at the time called the Natal was rumored for ODST, but Microsoft and Bungie shut the rumor down, stating it wasn't ready and any feature implemented would seem gimmicky, which is basically the entire Connect. <laughs> <laughs> so it would fit right in. Yeah, and I think that was kind of the, the, the case for Halo Reach 2, and they're like, Will the Natal be on Reach? And they're like, no. <laughs> no, thank you. Yeah. All right. So now let's talk about what's new. You know, s- since Halo 3 for, you know, the FPS, like what, what is now new? So we have the Silenced SMG and Silenced Pistol, which these were actually originally going to be in Halo 2. But, you know, Paul Bertone nuanced them and then they, they're now in Halo 3 ODST. We also have the engineers of the Huragok. Now, originally, if you were to attack an engineer, they would stick their head and their limbs into their shell and fly away when distressed. So, essentially, turtles, like flying space turtle squids. But well, yeah, because we've learned from all the books, I mean, they're really intelligent creatures, mm-hmm. and they, they obviously seek to not be violent at all. They're a very passive race. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we also have the visor. Now, this would give you a map of the city, showing you where your next clue is, and the ability to choose how to get there. Now, the the visor mode was originally created around the end of Halo 3's development, when an environmental artist came up with the feature to outline enemies and objects in the area. Bungie chose to put it in their back pocket for a later use. Mm-hmm. So we almost got this for Halo 3 ODST. They're like... Not for, this. for Halo 3 by itself. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Halo, Halo 3. But then they said, not this game, but soon, children, soon you're going to get it. They said that exact quote. And that makes sense <laughs> because why would it just randomly be implemented into 3? Mm-hmm. And it's yeah. like, uh, we upgraded your armor. You can now see stuff. We upgraded your armor while you were gone for a month. Yeah. It's about the same explanation they did for Halo 4. So. Oh, yeah, fine. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, so then we have the superintendent, which is the city AI. Mm-hmm. We have the audio logs, which is city's story. Firefight. Firefight was very new. Even though this originally was supposed to be for Halo 3, it was cut due to time constraints. Mm-hmm. Also, Firefight medals. And then we have a partial nonlinear campaign. Now, after the first two missions, a player can actually discover the remaining clues out of order. And then you must return to play the final two missions in order. So it's cool. It is a choose-your-own-adventure light. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, because it's not advertised as that, but if you know where they are, you can go and discover them. Like, clearly it's going to tell you where the next one is, mm-hmm. but people have done a few of them out of order. And it makes sense because, yeah, the game pretty much leads you to kind of where you need to go, whether it's the crashed uh, drop pod or whether it's a helmet. You know, it, it kind of points you that way. But it's all accessible since it's that quote-unquote open world Mm -hmm. that you can be able to go get it. Yeah. So then non-linear storytelling, first time that that Bungie would do Mm -hmm. this. I think only time for the Halo games. 
Also, gold hunters, which I don't think I found an explanation for that. There doesn't really need to be, but thought it was interesting. We're yeah. the first time playing uh, the the second mission where you're playing as Buck, and I'm like, why? They blinged him out. <laughs> they they discovered some. Gold? It was 2009, so I, I could kind of see like the the whole crunk thing was going on. So I can <laughs> they they got they got some sweet. That hunter was actually played by Little John. I like it. I like it. Got some grills going on. It's good. Yeah. So we also had an elephant in the campaign, even though it was it was it was the elephant model and it was used to become a garbage truck, but it was basically the same thing. They just put a ceiling on it. Yeah, because otherwise it's we have this elephant you can use in one map. There <laughs> yeah. you go. It's so saying, you know, it's a lot easier to say it's a garbage truck. Mm-hmm. And that's that's seeing like reusing those assets mm-hmm. to save some time. So also two things that were reintroduced were med kits and fall damage, which originally Bungie was going to stick with the shields and health bar, you know, just fully recharging, but mm-hmm. they're like this actually does not make any sense. So Well, and, and the same thing with with fall damage. So I remember in CE if you jumped off certain areas you would take damage from it, mm-hmm. and then when two and three were introduced, it was a threshold. Mm-hmm. So either you hit the bottom of the world, or you fell for X amount of feet, and you just died. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so they kind of reintroduced that you can still get hurt if you jump from too high of a height, because obviously, you're not a Spartan. Mm-hmm. You don't have like a cushiony suit to come along with you, it's just your broken ankles whenever you jump off six stories. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then something that was a one-time thing is that you had uh, the opening text scroll. But then also something they had is they had hidden weapon caches throughout the city. Mm-hmm. So, you know, depending on how many of the audio logs you discovered, you can then have weapons cache and get like a mongoose or something, making your life a hell of a lot easier. Spoiler alert, by the way. But yeah, another thing that they did that was a little different was having cutscenes end through the player's eye, something they never did in any other Halo game. Now, also something they did a little differently, which made its way into Reach, was the narrative sometimes being told through cameras and retrieving clues. So if you ever notice once in a blue moon, you would see a camera and it's the superintendent watching the rookie or any of the other characters interacting with enemies or the city. And finally, the AI. So the AI in Halo 3 ODST had to be rewritten for the more open city levels. Brutes, for example, are now more focused on self-preservation and given a chance can trick a player or lure them into traps. And they called this new system Squad Patrol. So you'll see one brute and you'll, you know, he'll see you and run away, but he's actually leading you into a group of brutes or, you know, a covenant unit, which I thought was pretty cool because even though that they were using the existing engine you wouldn't think that they had to rewrite the ais based on the more open world setting and we're like let's make them a little more clever and let's make them lure you into a trap now now that takes us over to i don't want to jesse's favorite parts the marketing of the game itself i love it mm-hmm. uh, originally halo 3 odst was going to be announced at e3 2008 Bungie had even set up a timer on their website to tick down right to the minute to when they were going to announce it, but Microsoft would cancel the announcement. Mm -hmm. Microsoft stated that it wanted to have its own release date before they kind of had an idea of really, you know, when the player could play it. Well, also, they're just like, well, you know, we want, you know, how many games are getting announced at E3? So they're Mm -hmm. like, we want this specific day is just for Halo 3 ODST. And instead... On the year anniversary of Halo 3's release, Bungie would release the teaser for the ODST project. Mm -hmm. Later that year, at the 2009 Tokyo Game Show, 
the first official trailer would be released showcasing Halo 3 Recon with a release date of fall 2009. Mm -hmm. This was a different take on the usual Halo trailer due to the fact that it was pre-rendered, but the studio simply did not have the time to work on an in-game trailer. It was a beautiful trailer, though. It was amazing, and I, I get... I mean, we're still not at that craze at this point with 2008, 2009. I think people cared about in-game renders, but not as much as they do today. Mm -hmm. People think if you don't do the render in-game today, it's not a real game. Yeah. Well, Bungie still worked with, I, I can't remember the company, who who did that trailer because they hired a, a different company to do it. And they even said, we want these players to move like this. We want them to look like this. Mm -hmm. So some people did think it was an in-game trailer like because they're like this looks great because they didn't know that it was the same engine sure and the fact is how everyone moved it's like mm -hmm. oh this is this is totally it so yeah then you had e3 2009 staten would give a quick gameplay live demo of the campaign along with describing the story of the odst along with the announcement of firefight fans would be able to play firefight for 10 minutes at a time with unlimited lives at e3 so mm -hmm. just you could just die every five seconds and do it for 10 minutes You'd be terrible. <laughs> that's that's me playing Firefight. <laughs> but we would also see the first Halo Reach teaser trailer at E3. Mm -hmm. So, you know, they said, you know, copies of Halo 3 ODST would include an invite to the Reach multiplayer beta. I love that they call it like an invite. Like, I, it, you feel exclusive. You're like, well, yeah, you got the invite. He was like, I'm invited. I'm invited to play this personally. Yeah. Yeah. So then you had PAX 2009. And, you know, fans would be able to get their hands on Halo 3 ODST and play Firefight at this event, just like uh, E3 2009. Staten would also be even partially dressed as an ODST at the event using an ODST outfit from Halo Landfall, which I believe he said was very uncomfortable. I can see that. But that's still cool to just say, like, you know, I, I met Joe Staten as he was dressed up as an ODST character. The, yeah, he's part of it. Or just being dressing up as one. That's also cool. Yeah. And so we also have um, a really cool campaign, We Are ODST The Life. This was a live action trailer showing the brutal ODST training following along a recruit named Tarkov. Mm -hmm. We see not only his training, but along with that, we have his first drop and then his rise to leadership. This trailer was directed by the production company MJZ, who also worked on the legendary Halo 3 Believe campaign. Mm -hmm. Bungie would work with the costume designers from Saving Private Ryan to create an Honor Guard costume fitting the universe. Bungie would also work with the studio Legacy to create the armor, weapons, and brutes. The face in the brutes had small motors so that you can control the face at like different points and kind of crunch it up like really cool marionette basically yeah. when i first saw the trailer i thought it was just really good cg mm -hmm. i'm not gonna lie that's how well done this trailer is if you haven't seen it yet well it looks honestly like you took in-game brutes and uh, threw them into here it's 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 pretty phenomenal mm -hmm. the funeral was shot in the middle of a cooling tower of an active nuclear plant terrifying the drill instructors in the training scene were real hungarian special forces soldiers and the battle at the end was a shot in a coal mining operation a final scene was shot but never released it showed the odst making their way into a structure after the makeshift funeral killing a brute and tarkov looking over the dead body this trailer would be nominated for outstanding visual effects and video game trailer from the visual effects society 
it's a, a, again I, I don't think there's anyone listening to this that hasn't watched that trailer but if you haven't go on youtube right now and watch you know we are we are odst or you know the life whatever mm-hmm. it's called it's awesome oh, like yeah. it really is it, it's like a trailer that you know only a minute and a half if that but i mean it's really it tells a story and it's done so well like as i said i thought the brutes were cg until i did research for this i was like oh my god those like they showed the faces like actually moving like it's incredible it's amazing so yeah now we're taking it back an episode hell jumper was mm-hmm. also used so hell jumper is a five-part comic book series acting as a prequel for dutch and romeo before joining alpha 9 the first issue was released july 22nd 2009 and the fifth issue was released november 25th 2009 so now we also have I, one of the coolest things ever that i think the halo has had for its marketing which is the odst mobile tour oh yeah 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 so the halo 3 odst promotional tour was held by bungie and it had a transport truck that traveled from seattle washington to new york from august 22nd 2009 to september 19th 2009 visiting 23 GameStops total this vehicle would transform into a station where a fan could get early access to Halo 3 ODST, and all attendees would have to be, though for some reason all attendees would have to be 17 plus, but they would receive some Halo swag for, you know, proving their Halo skills. Uh, yeah, I mean, because, mm, I don't know why, but they had to be... Uh, Maybe I'm wrong, but I, I don't think so. I mean, I remember seeing an article that was like, yeah, we don't know why either, but you have to be 17 plus. Now, the transport truck was 27 feet long, 14 feet wide when fully transformed and weighed 13 tons. So, so they, they put up, they put a little bit of effort into this. They put, yeah, which this is stuff you see when you finish a game. You know, they're like, let's finish this game six months early so we can do crazy stuff like this. And it's amazing. Well, and now at Failing Game Stops, you can get a... Like one foot by two foot promotional poster. Yeah, and Funko Pops, and that's about it. It gives you the same idea. <laughs> it's so crazy doing research for this and going back to this time when we're seeing how involved GameStop was. Because I remember going to GameStop. I mean, they were the heyday. They, they beat out EB Games because I believe they acquired them. Mm-hmm. And they beat out so many like mom and pop gaming stores that were around. Mm-hmm. I mean, you still had slackers surviving on like old games, and, and there's a lot of shops like that. But as far as like cutting edge stuff, and being a part of like the gaming community, they were it. GameStop was it, yeah. So then we also had Vidox. So continuing with the tradition of Halo 3, Vidox from Bungie would be released teasing aspects of the game along with developer commentary on concepts and development of the game. So then this one was, uh, I think this one was unnecessary, but we had the candidate assessment. So to further promote the game and a little you know, depth into the Halo lore, a website would launch that would allow users a look into the interviews for Alpha 9 prior to the events of the game. The acting was really bad for this, so it's really hard to take this seriously. Mm -hmm. And it's odd because they didn't use any of the voice actors. They used people who they, maybe I think they might have like modeled the faces after, but the guy for Dutch doesn't have like a rough voice at all. He has just like, you know, at like even even uh, the guy who voices Dutch doesn't actually sound like that. He alters his yeah. voice to make it. And like the guy they had playing Dutch was just a regular guy talking like this. And I was like, all right. It, but it's so odd because it's like you these are almost non-existent on the internet. I think Halo Archive on YouTube actually 
uploaded one or two of them. Mm-hmm. So if you want to, if you want to watch them, watch them there. They're they're like six minute, five or six minutes long. At least one or two of them that are up. I don't know. It it, I, it was a cool idea, but I think just like it wasn't executed well, in my opinion. But I think one thing that it did do really well was the pre-orders. Oh. And so if a player pre-ordered Halo 3 ODST, they would receive a downloadable code to play as Sergeant Johnson in Firefight. Yep. Which is amazing. So it takes it back a little bit to talk about the Johnson story. Mm -hmm. So they still threw him in there. And Toys R Us definitely had the best deal for purchasing Halo 3 ODST because if a player either pre-ordered or bought the game with no pre-order, they would receive an ODST action figure, which had a $12 value along with a $20 gift card to Toys R Us that expired November 14th, 2009. So you got paid to buy that game. Yeah, they give you some moolah. <laughs> uh, we also had Red vs. Blue. So GameStop and Rooster Teeth partnered together to create three promotional episodes to promote the release of ODST, which were, I believe, the PSAs. Mm-hmm. To- yeah. And I think that was also to promote Johnson, too. Yeah. To kind of put them out there and, and let them know kind of the promotional stuff they have going on with it. And, uh, I mean, it makes sense. Because at that point, you are, what, like six, seven seasons in? I'll take your word Rooster for Teeth. it. Rooster Teeth. Yeah. Uh, maybe a little bit more with that. But, yeah, they're, I mean, they're, they're at the top right now. So it makes mm-hmm. sense that you partner with them. Yeah. And finally, we had the launch event. So on September 21st, 2009, Bungie would hold a launch event for the game at the Experience Music Project and Science Fiction Museum and Hall of Fame in Seattle from 6 p.m. to 11 p.m. Let me stop you there real quick. Let me me stop you there real quick. Mm -hmm. Before we get to this marketing idea of this, can we remarket the E-M-P-S-F-M-H-F-S real quick? No, that's how it has to be. Okay, so so it has to be 17 (laughs) words in that title. Okay, continue on. So this event would allow fans to meet many Bungie and 343 industry developers and leaders. Fun fact, 343 was being put together at the time of this, but we'll talk about that in the Halo Reach episode. Mm -hmm. Actually, we'll talk about that in the next episode. But also, fans could sit in on panels discussing the making of ODST and an insight to the future of the Halo franchise. Mm -hmm. Furthermore, the first 200 in line would get a free t-shirt, along with fans being able to participate in a Halo cosplay competition. Fans would also be invited to tour the Science Fiction Museum and Hall of Fame free of charge. So I think that's really cool that even the the location itself or the the venue was like no like have fans come in for free like it's I think it's good promotion for them too. Oh, it's great promotion. I mean, if mm-hmm. it was St. Louis, it'd be free all the time, but you know we're just a better state. <laughs> now there were also thirty six stations to play ODST, and they had the campaign on like a giant display. So you see playing. what's going on. So I guess like don't look at that if you don't want any spoilers. <laughs> or just watch it. Don't buy the game, and you're like, all right, cool. All right, see you guys. Yeah. Speaking of GameStops, 3,700 GameStops would also host a ODST launch event. Yeah. Those are the days. I, I love that. Especially Those like were the, the days. Especially midnight releases where you could go in, mm-hmm. do some crazy promotional stuff. It was great. And so that wraps up our marketing um, mm-hmm. and brings us to the campaign itself. Yep. So we start here with prepare to drop. Start a new game. Drop into the nighttime city. The year is 2552. Humanity is at war with the alien alliance known as the Covenant. We are losing. The Covenant have burned our worlds, killing billions in their genocidal campaign. Earth is our last bastion, a carefully guarded secret, but not anymore. A Covenant carrier has breached Earth's defenses and attacked the African megacity, New Mombasa. 
Initial reports confirm major damage and heavy civilian casualties. Now, military leaders of the United Nations Space Command have prepared the response. Teams of highly trained orbital drop shock troopers are ready to assault the carrier from Navy ships in low orbit. This is a near suicidal mission, but these troopers are the best of the best, and saving New Mombasa could be the most important mission of the war. Yep. So now let's move on to, you know, the first cutscene. We have Dutch, Romeo, and Mickey all standing over a table with a hologram of a Covenant carrier hovering over New Mombasa as the rookie sleeps in the background. Freaking bum. Freaking silent bum doesn't say a word. <laughs> yeah, and they're just talking about, you know, that's the carrier they're going to invade. And so then Buck and Dare enter the room, Buck instructing them to all get in their pods. And I know that Dare makes a comment about them being replacements, and this kind of sets the tone. He says, they're all replacements. Mm-hmm. Like, this is not my original squad. Like, people are just dying left and right, essentially. So then they kind of have this, like, little debate about, you know, she has a different plan for the mission than what they think. And Mm -hmm. he's not happy with it. They're not going to be happy about it, but they still have to do it. And then I know at one point as well, Dara isn't wearing necessarily ODST armor. She's wearing something else different. Recon armor, spoiler alert. But yeah, Mm -hmm. and I know they're kind of questioning it, but Buck is just saying, don't worry about it, prepare to drop. Right then, Romeo abruptly wakes up the rookie kind of just being a jerk just hits him with the butt of his gun and you see then dutch kind of come in and you see he's like the gentle giant yeah he's he's like like, don't worry about this guy and that's where he says you know times like this it pays to be the strong silent type so yeah then they prepare to drop and this is such a cool scene because it's like you almost feel like you're dropping because it shows you know you're the rookie Mm -hmm. and the pod drops and it's like that thing you can feel it almost yeah you almost get that vertigo with it because actually like having the shake and like the actual uh-huh. pod like you feel like the pod itself is is part of it it's not just like a static kind of video game you know jpeg going down mm-hmm. it's actually really cool rendering for it oh it's it's so cool but yeah right before they get onto the carrier dare informs the whole team to like i think move right and they're all confused but they do it Thankfully, they did that because a slip space portal opens up mm-hmm. and blows all the other ODST pods back. So them moving, which you don't know at the time, but saves all their lives. Mm-hmm. So you see all of a sudden the rookie brace and he's crashing. So that's ba- that's the quote unquote first mission. They kind of did that thing where you can skip the first cutscene entirely. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it's like, as, as they do with pretty much all of your Halo games. Yeah, and so, you know, a little bit of trivia on Legendary, there's a photo of a woman on the left of Rookie's drop pod. This is supposed to be his girlfriend, but it's a photo of Chris Butcher edited to look like a woman, which his girlfriend could be a female version of Chris Butcher in that universe. It's true. We don't know. And so the noises made to count down the drop are the same noises used to count down respawning in multiplayer. Love it. So reusing those assets down to the sound. They're like, what, what do we make? What do we make for this beep? And it, and it makes sense, too, because if you incorporate that, it's like almost more of the lore canon of it of like, yeah, this is just a sound that's heard regularly by these troops. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So then we have the first re- real mission, which is Mombasa Streets. Explore the city find your ODST team. So now, hours later, the rookie awakens in his pod. The city is dark and abandoned. So, you know, after you get that that tutorial we get for every game, mm-hmm. you leap out of the pod, and this is that first time you see that fall damage reintroduced since combat evolved. So you find some health, and you start to face off the Covenant. Now, eventually, after you take out a few squads, the rookie meets the superintendent. You know, that phone is ringing for that first time. Mm-hmm. You go and you answer it, and you have to do that 
very long, very, very long <laughs> uh, tutorial about how to use everything. Well, you can't skip, and you got to kind of go through it and actually do what it says. That is actually kind of annoying, because we, we did play that over the weekend with Duncan, and all three of us over the headsets were like, no, no, no. No. Oh god, I almost I almost restarted it. <laughs> but going back, this is your first time, especially because mm-hmm. they wanted to make sure that this is different than any other Halo game, that you understand kind of your menu options because it was much more intuitive than the other Halo mm-hmm. games. Yeah. Um and this was also for me the well, I think for everyone, the first mission that we see O'Donnell's music start to really focus on his idea mm-hmm. of that lonesomeness and kind of jazziness of it cuz mm-hmm. you jump in there's no there's nothing. Yeah, you wander and you eventually do stumble upon some squads you have to kill, but for the most part, it's it it creates that somber aloneness. Uh huh. Yeah, that's exactly what it was shooting for. Mm-hmm. So yeah, once you get through the thirty minute tutorial that is the HUD and everything, you you go and you're told, you know, okay, this is where a clue is. You need to start figuring out what happened to your team. You make your way through some Covenant resistance. You finally find yourself at, I think, the third floor of this building where you see a TV screen with Dare's helmet actually lodged into it. Mm -hmm. So that's when he pulls it out and then the narrative, you know, kind of fades out. And he can, you know, he always has like a flashback in his head of hearing someone talking. Yeah, it it almost reminds me of like... um whenever you kind of have like the ring of a grenade in your ear mm-hmm. like in movies and they're like talking through it that's kind mm-hmm. of like the feeling of it reverse yeah. wise though yeah so a little bit of trivia now because that's the end of the mission the ATMs that spit out money uh, they have you know they're spitting out coins and on them they have Jason Jones face on them I love it alright so so flashback forward back forward back we're at Tiara Plaza yeah we're back now we're back so that's what I love I this is to go off the beaten path just a little bit I absolutely love that the game does that. Mm-hmm. That you're playing the rookie, which is the future point. It's kind of the end game point, you know, until you get to a, another point. That, that kind of shows really what happened. And it's, it's such an interesting way of telling it instead of just doing a random cutscene or mm-hmm. just doing, oh, I found this uh, newspaper scrap that got written really quick that they all died. Yeah. Or that they survived. Oh, cool. The end. Yeah. Game is over. Exactly. So we're at Tiari Plaza, beat the Covenant to Dare's crash site. So you play as Buck mm-hmm. immediately after his drop. So Buck's pod crashes in the plaza upside down after bouncing off a building. Dare contacts him over the radio that she's stuck in her pod. And so it's already like that comical, like he's upside down, mm-hmm. gets out, yeah. mm-hmm. fun stuff's happening. So Buck and Dare discuss their past, and then Buck makes his way to Dare. Yeah, he, he talks about he asked her a question mm-hmm. after spending like a night or a weekend with her and never got an answer. And he's like, well, where is that? Yeah, and I think even the first mission she references a dance. Yeah. So we see that there's... There's tension. Yeah, there's tension, romantic, you know, so they have a history. They have a history. And so Dare states that they uh, have landed and it is packed with Covenant around them. Mm-hmm. So Buck, you know, being the macho bravado he is, like, I'm coming. Yep. Um, and immediately as that happens, he's like, oh, there's Covenant here. Yeah, like immediately. He's yeah. like, oh, shit. Yeah, and, and so... After killing them, Buck meets up with the Marine and he informs Buck to move through the buildings and flank the Covenant because there's already ground forces that are there. Which I didn't do this weekend and I got made fun of for. You did not. You just ran straight in (laughs) and you died. But it's okay. (laughs) As Buck moves through the buildings, as Jesse doesn't, of course, he finds the bodies of dead elites. Buck proceeds to move further through and see the brute grunt resistance that is happening. Um, so this is different points. The plaza where they, they've set up kind of these to- these toeholds that are in there. They've got turrets. 
They've got various flank positions. Mm -hmm. And we eventually, as we get into that open plaza, this is where we start to see hunters. So we're we're helping the Marines out. We're killing them out. We're we're taking the Jackal snipers out and what we can. And the hunters come out to play. Our little John Hunter comes out along with just regular Hunter. Yeah, you see a yeah (laughs) down the street (laughs) as he just crashes through a car. <laughs> yeah, it's perfect. So as as Buck kills all the remaining Covenant, he finds Dare's pod at the lower level of the plaza. Mm-hmm. Uh, killing the grunts, attacking the pod, he goes to save Dare. But when he opens it, because you know obviously you're thinking these grunts were like kind of kicking around it and trying to figure out yeah, what it was, like firing at it. Yeah, trying to figure out what's going on. He opens it uh, to discover that Dare isn't even in there. Like mm-hmm. he, because he was panicked. He's like, she's done for. Yeah, like, because because earlier she was on the com. That's like, you know, I don't know if I'm gonna make it. Like, yeah. hey, just an FYI, in case I don't make it, they found me. Yeah, and he's like, no, don't say. And anything. And then they pretty much cut comms, mm-hmm. and then that's where we. That's where he's like running through to kind of get that. Um, and so instead, he's greeted by a creature holding Dare's helmet. Mm-hmm. The creature is then killed by Romeo, but his corpse explodes shortly afterwards, launching Dare's helmet which is then where we see it embedded mm-hmm. into that yeah, screen. because every clue that you find at the end of the mission, you see how it got there. Yeah, pretty much at the end of the next mission because, mm-hmm. um, and we'll, we'll get to that in a second, but um, Romeo and Buck meet up and realize that they are alone. Mm-hmm. Now there's nothing around. And they decide to find a high point to find the rest of the squad and get out of the city. So two things with this. One, this is where we start to see the superintendent kind of coming alive. We saw mm-hmm. it we saw it previously, but now we see it with this where the cameras are kind of going around mm-hmm. and following them and recording it. And, and I love that you see the superintendent's face change mm-hmm. throughout missions. Yep. But yeah, recording, you see that he's part of it. Yeah. So... And that, that's where the rookie's getting these clues from because he's seeing everything through these cameras. Mm-hmm. And, and so it then... As we get to, as we'll see when we get to the next present day mission, um, pretty much where the helmet lands is exactly where we started. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but a little bit of trivia, kind of before we bounce to that, Buck telling the hunters to turn around so he can shoot them in the back is a call back, <laughs> some dad jokes <laughs> right there, uh, to Halo CE, considering how much Bungie heavily compared the suppressed pistol to the CE Magnum. When Buck talks about linking up to the B-Net, it's a reference to Bungie.net. Yep, because that's what they—that's what they always called Bungie.net. Bnet. Well, I mean, it's really what the cool kids would say. Mm-hmm, yep. I'm gonna go play some b-ball before I log out of the Bnet. <laughs> you know how it is. <laughs> and and so as we log out of the Bnet, we're back to the present, um, to the rookie, and the rookie examines the helmet once more, kind of giving like a turn. Yeah, I think he like flicks it. Yeah, and then he kind of gives it away, leaves it behind, and makes his way towards the next clue. Uh, before he can even leave the building. He kills a group of grunts. Once he's and then once he's back on the streets, he discovers a group of brutes putting a bomb on the new creature that they saw. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So this is the first time the rookie's seeing it. Mm-hmm. Once the rookie kills the brutes, the creature explodes. Or you can explode the creature yourself. Yeah, but don't be a dick. I'm a dick. <laughs> the rookie ventures through the abandoned city, fighting his way through any covenant resistance along the way. And finally, the rookie then comes across a camera that was attached to a fighter drone. And then that's when we do a little flashback. Mm -hmm. So now we're at Uplift Reserve. Lead a Warthog charge and clear hostiles from the park. So the mission starts with Dutch, Uplift Reserve, 30 minutes after drop. So Dutch observes uh, fighter jets fly above and, you know, he has a Spartan laser equipped and he's going to make his way into the reserve. And 
and it's 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 emphasized that the the story is being told through like the camera of like the fire the fighter jets really because mm-hmm. uh, that's the clue that the rookie finds. So immediately he helps Dutch helps a group of Marines take control of a warthog and begins to fight the Covenant on you know helps with his fight with the Covenant on Earth. So once the area is clear, Dutch and the Marines then make their way through a tunnel onto a beach, and a colonel gets a hold of him under the comms and says. You know, we have this, we we're meeting up with second uh, platoon at this location and we're going to try to con- uh, secure this Covenant LZ mm-hmm. and capture a tier one asset. I don't remember off the top of my head if it's ever said what that tier one asset is. Maybe it's a prophet. Maybe it's it's uh, a Huragok or engineer. I don't remember off the top of my head. If, 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 if they ever say or you, anyone knows let us know and tell us that we're a bunch of noobs. So then Dutch clears out the Covenant holdout where he's at, and they make their way to the bridge to meet up with the Colonel, though the space elevator falls. And this is a really cool mm-hmm. moment where you see it coming down, and I almost thought it was going to come down on you because it's it's huge. It's going yeah. miles in the sky. But basically with his like like last dying breath, you know, the, the Colonel tells everyone to clear out. It's like... It's like everyone clear out, and then someone other comes like, "No, the colonel's dead now." <laughs> it's literally all went down. Which I was like, "How do you know, you liar?" You heard it in his voice. You could tell he's a voice analyst. <laughs> so yeah. Then you know, at this time, I you know, depending the the player can be on a ghost or a warthog, but assume that you're doing it, you know, on a warthog with a marine. You know, the marine says, "You know, listen, we need to get out of the reserve." Mm-hmm. So you know. You basically you make your way through more and more covenant resistance and you see like this ledge and you're instructed to drive off of the ledge on, you know, with the warthog. So the cutscene then shows Dutch jumping out of that warthog last minute and it landing on the ground and then it crashes and is destroyed behind him. Mm-hmm. Right as that happens, a drone ex- crashes into the statue behind him. So that's where we see that camera come from. Flying cause, off. Yeah, because yep. it flies off. So basically, this this is a mission that is just, it's a vehicle mission, but you can realistically go right through. Like, you can not kill a single enemy and just, so yeah, that's, this is like one of the only missions I really don't like in in the game, so I do just soar through it. Mm-hmm. But yeah, so some trivia about this mission is you can drive off the ledge with a ghost and the cutscene will show the ghost explode, you know, him jump, you know, drive mm-hmm. off of it. But when you go back to the rookie, it's only going to show a warthog. So then also the player can find a dying marine rambling on how the nature reserve is just, in fact, a zoo. <laughs> it's just like it's a, good stuff. It's just a few minutes of like him just being like, it's a construct. It's a zoo. They're all prisoners. <laughs> so then we go back to the present. So after the rookie sees everything that happened with Dutch, he makes his way on to the next clue. Mm-hmm. So he... He, you know, then once again, you know, Washford's repeat, makes his way through the, the infiltrated Covenant City, finding off any and all opposition. Now, eventually, he finds himself in a building, and after making his way to the top, he finds a mounted Goss turret, which is the next clue. Bringing us to Kazingo Boulevard, Scorpion Rampage Through the Heart of the City. 
and we're following Mickey this time mm-hmm. on Casingo Boulevard, 90 minutes after drop. I, I do love how they specify times mm-hmm. after you, which I, I love that because you see the times getting, you know, like they're going throughout the day. So yeah. Really cool. Because you're actually seeing what's happening because the rookie had basically been knocked out all day in his pod. Yeah, it was six hours after drop. Mm-hmm. So you're, you're seeing everything leading up to the present, essentially. Yeah, which, I, once again, like, I, I've talked to friends who... who may not be a fan of this game, but you have to appreciate the story. Mm-hmm. You have to appreciate the structure of it. It's beautiful. Mm-hmm. So, 90 minutes after drop, Mickey sees a group of Marines running from a wraith and joins the fight to take it out, which I thought was like just, it's such a cool scene where like they're like running through like, alright, get in here. Yeah. OST, let's take mm-hmm. this out. And so Mickey then takes control of a scorpion tank and battles in a firefight in the boulevard. After the immediate threat is cleared, Mickey makes his way to a rally point near the Oni base where all the surrounding Marines are falling back to. So it's kind of like, you know, an homage to Firefight mm-hmm. as we go. Um, lots of firefights in this campaign. Lots of firefights. So this is kind of like a tiered one. So you're, you're I, I wonder of, what they were working towards when they did all these. I don't know. It's interesting. <laughs> Some might say. Uh, so so after they, they, they get back to this point, they fall back, and they're kind of, they have the high ground. And they're fighting their way through and keep the Covenant at bay just by murdering them, as mm-hmm. you do. So after making his way through the city and past all these fun firefights, Mickey eventually meets up with Dutch. Mm-hmm. They fall back and defend the area as waves of Covenant come through, aka firefight. Wonder what that theme is. Mm. Once they clear out the Covenant, Mickey suggests that they hold out and wait for backup, but a member of the New Mombasa police asks if either one of them uses explosives, and Dutch decides they're going to help the NMPD making their way to the Oni building, mostly because he's like, I kind of want to blow some stuff up. I want to blow some stuff up. Let's do that. Yeah. Let's do that. Oh, yeah. So a little trivia for you. This is the first game where playable characters can ride on the side of a tank. Didn't know that. Yeah. It was it was only in turrets before or driving them, mm-hmm. or you had to be lame and walk. Or you had to be an AI. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, yes. <laughs> You're not wrong. <laughs> so anyway, let's go back to the present. After the rookie examines the gun... He leaves the building, once again making his way through the streets, battling Covenant forces along the way to his next clue. Theme number two. It is walking through the city. And it's true. Um, and obviously there's, there's plenty of like really cool stuff to see, and you, mm-hmm. can, double, you can double back on yourself, which yeah. is awesome. Well, the one reason the, the, the kind of description of like the rookie making his way through is so vague is because there's there's it's it's an open world. Yeah, you you can basically take your own way there, mm-hmm. and that's the reason why they give you a map for this. Is like yeah. we've created a giant city. Best of luck. Yeah, because everything's the same too, and because there are multiple points where you are locked out, mm-hmm. and you might have to take a different route around. Mm-hmm. So. We continue with that. Um, So eventually he makes his way through a tunnel and finds himself at the remains of a destroyed bridge. He finds some kind of kind of detonator handle Mm -hmm. and investigates it. Yeah, which this whole scene standing at the bridge and seeing just this building in front of you just demolish and on mm-hmm. fire. It's beautiful. So this this brings us to our next mission, which is Oni Alpha Site. Fall back, deny access to this vital facility. So mission starts with Dutch. Oni Alpha Site two hours after drop. So the mission starts with Dutch and Mickey on the bridge and, you know, the bridge that's leading up to the facility, they're just arming a bunch of bombs. So at that point, Mickey instructs Dutch to help finish the rest of the bombs or, or you know, charging the explosives to detonate all the bombs and yeah, take out the bridge. Because they're taking, like, they're putting them on, like, the struts to mm-hmm. kind of blow out the mm-hmm. uh, support. 
yeah, so so once everything is, you know, fully charged, Dutch then unlocks a keypad and they blow the bridge. Though this is only a small deterrent, as a phantom dropship makes its way to the front of the base and drops off Covenant forces after multiple waves, though. Notice I said waves? Talk about that theme there. Uh, the ODS- Surfing. <laughs> the ODST must make their way inside the base. And so at that point, we see that there are a handful of police officers inside as well. And they can see that there are a hell of a lot more bombs inside. Mm-hmm. And they realize, like, oh, this is going to get blown, too. We shouldn't stay here any longer than we have mm-hmm. to. Another kind of firefight thing goes on. So after X amount of waves and, you know, coming from the sides and the back, you then get inside an elevator with another police officer and make your way up. And I like little things where they're talking about in-game dialogue where Mickey tells the police officer, you know, if anyone's going to blow this place, it's going to be me. So give me the, the, the codes to blow it. So once you make your way to the rooftop, there's a police pelican waiting for you. So once again, you take out the final wave of all the covenant in the area, and then you get in the pelican and you get the hell out of there. So as they're in the pelican, the police officer there says, do any any of you know uh, uh, Sergeant Gunnery Buck? And they put him over the comms and, you know, they say, hey, we're going to come pick you up. But right before they finally leave the area... Mickey, you know, taps on Dutch and points at the building and counts down, you know, five, four, mm-hmm. three, two, one. Building explodes behind him. And he says, you know what? This job isn't half bad after all. Yeah. I, I love little quips like that because this goes back a little bit with Halo 3, mm-hmm. like having a little bit of fun, even though it's death and decimation and it's a it's a, it's a war for your world. You still have like little bits of like. Yeah, you get to blow up, blow up the the office of like the biggest, weirdest, most secret, corrupt organization mm-hmm. ever. Yeah, so moving on with a little bit of trivia. Inside the base, there's a memorial wall with names like Dr. Catherine Halsey and Preston Cole on it. Because I think at this time in the lore, we don't know that Cole is dead. Mm-mm. So all of a sudden you see that. If you were to just, instead of fight the Covenant, just sit there and read it, you'd be like, oh, wait, why is Halsey? Or I guess we know in the lore at this time that she's disappeared, but we never you know, knew that Preston Cole was dead. And then also, for some reason, the superintendent won't let a cop detonate the bombs on the bridge. You know, the, the, the cops are like arguing with, with it and, you know, it says, okay, this ODST can instead. So that's a little bit of insight. So it's a, a different story later on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So back on the present, the rookie takes one last look at the lever in his hand and tosses it into the river before moving on. But he, like, skips it like a rock. And they give the rookie personality by doing this stuff. You notice he toys with all of his clues just a little bit. Like he's just, you know, tapping on them or just pushing buttons yeah, it, on them. It, it kind of gives like the like, oh, okay. Like, like really like, wanting to understand it mm-hmm. and understand yeah. like why things happened. Yeah. So then the rookie returns to the streets of Mombasa to find his next clue. He eventually finds a sniper rifle hanging from a power line bent in half. So I love seeing this and you're like, how did this happen? Mm-hmm. Who has a sniper? Also, Romeo has a sniper. One of the hardest clues to find. <laughs> yes, absolutely. <laughs> when you're not thinking yes. about looking up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because at the time, everything's been on the ground. Mm-hmm. So you're there for a while. So after, you know, he he takes this, this I don't know, pole, rebar, whatever, and, and gets it down. And after trying to straighten it out, but failing, he learns what happens next. And we go into the next mission. And here we're at... The New Mombasa Police Department Headquarters. Mm-hmm. Pelican down. Keep your sniper rifle handy. And we're once again with Romeo, 
at the NMPD headquarters three hours after drop. So we're halfway to when the rookie was able to drop Mm -hmm. out of his pod. So Buck and Romeo make their way to a landing pad. Buck tries to get a hold of the rookie, but Romeo insists that he's either dead or lost in the city. Mm -hmm. Um, And as the police pelican approaches Buck and Romeo, it's attacked by banshees and crashes the nearest building. You know, sucks. I also think this is like police pelicans. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, yeah. You know, it's like they didn't have to, but they did. Yeah. So I like it. Like, like that, the, that they've actually mustered up a force to have it, which is mm-hmm. just neat little details. I like. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so after this, this uh, uh, pelican goes down. They then must fight their way through Covenant squads spread throughout the station. Dutch tells Buck over the comms that they are on a nearby rooftop, and Romeo and Buck make their way towards the crash site. This is definitely a mission where they took. <sighs> one this one kind of section and they just copied and pasted it to the right multiple times because you kind of see the theme of okay there's this outside courtyard with a landing pad now we make our way through a hallway here's the next outside courtyard with a landing pad kind of wash rinse repeat after making their way through multiple courtyards and you know like the kind of copy rinse and repeat stuff we're talking about Mm -hmm. um, they get to the rooftop via suspended steel beam once on the rooftop, the ODST and police must make a stand and fight off any and all Covenant forces. There's that theme again. That's what you gotta do. <laughs> After decimating waves of Covenant forces, one last phantom appears, dropping off a brute chieftain wielding a gravity hammer. This is an oh shit moment. Oh yeah. The chieftain uses his hammer, boom, takes it a police officer, mm-hmm. kind of spins, hits that blowback onto Romeo and launches him into a pillar. Mm-hmm. Um, it then turns the hammer to the blade side and strikes Romeo directly in the chest, mm-hmm. kind of like going right in. But luckily, he had a sniper rifle in front of him, mm-hmm. and that took the brunt of it, but still kind of crushing mm-hmm. that sternum and everything that he had. And had then, did they get rid of his sternum? Oof, it's gonna be rid of soon. <laughs> so, so you know, it kind of crushes into him, and so the rest of the squad then work together to take that chieftain out. Mm-hmm. Seeing that they cannot leave by air, Buck tells the team he knows of another way to leave the station with their hurt friend. Mm-hmm. So a little bit of trivia with this for you: when the chieftain is dropped, this is the only time we see a BR being used by a police officer. Uh huh. It's the only BR in the game. Yeah. Well, you know, they're in the Oni base, so you know how it is. <laughs> and a last bit of trivia for you. The player has to find a certain ledge with an arrow pointing outward. If the player jumps and turns around before falling to their death, they can see a graffiti face. This will get the player an achievement. Yep, there was no, there's no, I think that's only on Master Chief Collection. I could be wrong for the achievement, mm-hmm. but there's that face there. No one really knows why well, yeah, Bungie I, did it. I know uh, um, with the MCC, they added in a lot of achievements for Easter eggs, mm-hmm. which is kind of cool. Yeah. Uh, so then we get back to the present, and the rookie tries one more time to straighten that sniper rifle that was bent in half by that brute chieftain. What an idiot. What a dummy. Before <laughs> dropping it. Yeah, I love that he just takes the rifle and just plop, drops mm-hmm. it on the ground, moving along to the next clue in the Covenant-infested city. A phantom immediately drops a small squad of Covenants, a little bit different than just roaming around. Mm-hmm. Uh, and after the rookie takes them out, he then moves along and finds more people. <laughs> after traveling further into the city, he comes along what look like these kind of metal doors that you put in front of shops and stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and finds a can of biofoam on the ground. Yep. And that moves us to our next mission, which is Kikawani Station. So aerial combat in the flooded city. Buck, Kikawani Station, five hours after drop. 
So now I think we're roughly an hour or two hours away from being to the present. We're getting closer and closer. So the squad of ODST make their way towards Kikawani Station, and Romeo is struggling to breathe to the point he's starting to suffocate. So he, uh, Buck asks Dutch for a med kit and inserts the biofoam into Romeo's wound, plugging his punctured lung and allowing him to breathe once more. So Buck then informs the team that they're just going to find a tunnel in the train station. They're just like going to walk out. like Just, just do it. Yep. And I, I like even the point that you see kind of Romeo, how he can be a smart ass, but he's kind of a badass because Buck puts his hand out to help him up and he just puts the can of biofoam in his hand and gets up on his own. Mm-hmm. He's like, that's our boy right there. So yeah, so they make their way in and they're eventually like, we're not going to be able to go through these tunnels at all. But Buck sees a phantom and he's like, yeah, we're just going to go steal that phantom over there. Yeah, might and, as well. And he instructs Mickey to do it, even though in Helljumper, Dutch has experience doing it, but whatever. <laughs> but yeah, so then, you know, he tasks Mickey with hijacking the phantom. So, you know, anytime that they see as well any of the Hergok, Buck says, you know, if you see them, take them out because they're quote unquote in our way. So after fighting off all the Covenant squads within the area, Mickey takes the Phantom. And then Buck takes a, takes a Banshee, and the rest of the team gets in the Phantom. So it's Buck and a Banshee. Buck and a Banshee. Buck and a Banshee. Buck and a Banshee with a silver spoon. <laughs> <laughs> and then everyone else is in the Phantom on the turrets, and Mickey is driving it. So then... This is another situation where it's a wash, rinse, repeat. They come across the first tunnel, doors closed, but Buck has to get out and open it. Okay, so they go through. Second tunnel. Well, now the door is jammed, so Buck has to go inside, and he has to take out the Covenant inside, and I think the final thing is a brute chieftain wielding a hammer. So they get through that. So then, you know, after that, that final tunnel, or that second tunnel, they see that there's a scarab waiting for them. They take it out, but you don't have to board it like Halo 3. Instead, the back can actually be shot off, and you can take it out from your Banshee. Mm -hmm. But even though Buck says, or we should just move past it. But either way, they then make their way through the third and final tunnel, and they see a hive of what they're calling the squids at the time. And so if you destroy, like, one of those old areas where they all kind of convene, it explodes. So there's, like, seven or eight. So just a giant explosion ensues after you take out one of them. And then they make their way out of there. And I love that how, you know, Buck boards the Phantom, but how he does it is he jumps out of his Banshee midair and just gets sucked into it. Oh, I thought that was so badass. Neat. It's such a cool part yeah. for it. And so, you know, they're like, okay, let's make our way out. But Buck remembers Dare. And they mention, they're like, man, like those tunnels are swarming. Like we wouldn't go in there if you told us. Oh, and, yeah. And he's actually like, we'll go back. I'm going in there. And they're like, why? He's like, because I forgot something, but now I remember, you know, now I know where to find it. Mm-hmm. So, you know, some trivia for this one. After going through the second tunnel, there's a platform with a sign on it that says access denied. If the player gets out of their banshee and walks on the ledge and jumps down on the platform, a dancing Marty O'Donnell will appear with hearts and bubbles around him. So always a little interesting that we have to throw and it's almost just like a gif of him going back and forth of him like putting up like fisty cups like he's getting ready to box you but also you know at the same area if the player is going to stand on a wall near that marty o'donnell easter egg they will hear the siege of magical playing but they have to stand in that certain position the whole time they can't move around afterwards mm-hmm. so of course siege of magical 
always has to be in a Halo game. I think it's awesome. So yeah, then now we move on back to the present. So, you know, the rookie actually hears Dare over the comms asking for any assistance. She's like, hey, uh, my ammo's low. If anyone can hear me, please come. I'm, I'm putting a beacon out there so you can find me. So the rookie makes his way towards the beacon, and then he enters a building and jumps down an elevator shaft, descending further using the elevator cable. So kind of like a badass, he's just like, well, elevator's out, I'm going to climb down using this cable. And that's when we move on to the next mission. And now we continue to Data Hive. Find, dare, secure the superintendent. Does this have a time slot? No. Okay. Because it's, it's, it's continuing to the present. That's what I thought. I, didn't know yeah. they, I, didn't, I forgot if they continued that or not. Mm, yeah. So now we're on to Data Hive. Find, dare, secure the superintendent. Dare says over the comms that she's pinned down, low on ammo, and located on sub-level 9. And, you know, as as one is. You know. Yeah, and he's on sub-level 7. Yeah, so he's got two to go. So the rookie he overhears some grunts talking about the traitor before taking them out and moving forward. After taking out more Covenant resistance, the rookie finds a police officer looking to also descend further into the station. Rip this very brave soul. <laughs> the superintendent grants the rookie access to descent further. The police officer and the rookie then make their way through Covenant forces throughout sub-level 8. Eventually, they make their way to sub-level 9. The police officer instructs the rookie to stay behind while he checks on something. He then explains that he had orders to make sure the doctor is dead and no one knows about it. He then attempts to kill the rookie, but fails. The superintendent states, Crime doesn't pay. Good citizens do their part. Now, this is only if you find all audio logs getting to this point. Yeah. Yeah. So, and, and we'll talk about that coming up. I mean, mm-hmm. we got, we got yeah, a really yeah, nice yeah. hashtag. Uh, yeah, yeah. Little, little hashtag something, something mm-hmm. for you. Yeah. A surprise. A little surprise. And, and so after making his way to the end of sub-level nine, he finds Dare holding out in a room. Surprised to see the rookie rather than Buck, she instructs the rookie inside the room. Dare makes a comment how some idiots blew the building above and woke the whole hive of drones. <laughs> hmm, well, wonder who those guys mm, were. We'll see. She tells the rookie that their real mission was to secure the data from the superintendent. Dare and the rookie make their way towards the superintendent to follow through with the mission. In doing this, they find themselves face to face with a whole hive of buggers. Yeah, because you see in like this data area, like mm-hmm. it almost looks like a bee, like a wasp yeah. nest, like going on. And then you're like, oh god, these are like 200 pound wasps. And then your anxiety goes up, <laughs> and you rip have, like, me apart and tear me up. Flashbacks of getting attacked by wasps. What's happened to me, by the way? Happened to me as well. I threw Hor- threw a baseball at a wasp nest. Uh, I or which is it? Hornets that that burrow like in the ground. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mowed over them once. Mistakes and were, mistakes uh, they, were made. they all stung my uh, belly. And you know what? Hornets, worthless. They don't do anything. Wasps they don't. do stuff. Oh, well, they're both worthless. I don't care. They're both worthless, Worthless, but hornets in and of themselves are super worthless. It felt like I got punched in the stomach. By tiny punches. Yeah. <laughs> so after they find... Uh, <laughs> that was all canonical. After they find Jesse's terrible flashback, they then make their way onto a bridge and fight off the brutes at the end of the bridge, attempting to enter a door locked by the quote-unquote traitor yeah you hear it referenced a few times but you're like who the hell is this traitor yeah because yeah, we haven't really seen anything so far and obviously we haven't really seen any like elites up to this point going mm, through here so like yeah you know maybe maybe um so after making their way through they finally meet the traitor who is in fact a huragak mm-hmm. um and we, you kind of should have known because that's pretty much the race it's always like yeah i'm just gonna go with the good side 
you know, like whoever the better <laughs> yeah. side for me is. And so Derek explains to that the Huragak are actually slaves to the Covenant and that she watched this one go through all of the data in the tunnels and followed it. Derek also explains that all the superintendent's data has been absorbed by the Huragak she was following. On a screen, they see that Buck has made his way into the tunnels to rescue them. So he's, you know, trying to be the savior. Trying to be. Mm. <laughs> they then must escort the Huragak. You know, the, the greatest missions of Halo, of any game, escort missions. Thankfully, the only ones, I think, within the Bungie era that we have escorts was this and the next one. So and, this okay. one's, and this one's not that bad. Not that bad. Shoot, 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 go, go, go. Yeah, especially on normal. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, they, so they must escort the Huragak out of the tunnels while defending it. The Huragak then gives the ODST overshields to face the Covenant. So obviously it's, it's a perk instead of just being a, a, a lame mm-hmm. escort. It's like, this is kind of cool. They eventually meet up with Buck and fight off all of the Covenant that are there, making their way out of the tunnels. And so that brings us to just a little tidbit of trivia for you. If the player doesn't discover all of the audio logs, the police officer will simply be killed by drones instead of descending to sub-level 9 and attempting to kill the rookie. Superintendent will state crime doesn't pay. So yeah, it's it's a cool little 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 Easter egg mm-hmm. because because yeah. I remember playing this through so many times and be like, rip my friend, he's gonna die by those drones, and yeah. then finally getting the audio logs. Like, that's actually a really cool deal uh-huh. for him. That's yeah, awesome because you wouldn't know what's going on with that. Exactly because if he's just like, you know, I'm here to let you know that Doctor Dead. And you're yeah. Like, what? And you're like, who the hell are you? Cool. I remember seeing on a forum doing research for this that people were like. You know, no one ever, like, looked up, like, or they, they never actually discovered all the audio logs, mm-hmm. and then they finally do. They're like, I always knew there was something off about that cop, and yeah. now I know why. And why he was there, and, uh-huh. like, what was actually going on? Mm-hmm. Like, like yeah, why yeah, was there yeah. a cop at sub-level 7? Yeah, uh-huh. And why does he need to get to sub-level 9, too? It's all weird. Yeah, because it's, it's, it's such like a, oh, you're, you're going there, too? Oh, let's just ride together. It's like <laughs> one of those things you're like... Okay, sure. You got this taxi too? Yeah. <laughs> I'm going like a block the same place as you. Yeah, Let's just do it. Yeah, Let's yeah, just it's, do it. it's all good. Yeah, so now we have the final mission. Escort the asset out of the city. So in the elevator, Dare strikes Buck in the face for abandoning the mission, but then kisses him for coming back to rescue her. The team then makes their way through the Covenant-taken city towards the highway. So they have to do, you know, another small little escort area. Mm-hmm. So once they are at the highway and Buck and Dare are kind of arguing about what they should do, the Huragak, who is now known as Virgil because he took over the superintendent's data, mm-hmm. and the superintendent was called Virgil, takes control of a garbage truck. And that's that elephant that we see. They kind of, you know, reskinned a little bit. And Dare is surprised to see New Covenant making their way into the city as well, because originally it was the one carrier, but mm-hmm. she's been underground, so she's like, holy shit. But they all know that, okay, let's let's make our way towards this phantom dropship that you have, because it's at the end of the highway. So Buck and the rookie take control of a warthog while Dare rides in the garbage truck with Virgil. Mm-hmm. So, you know, throughout this, it's just one long drive. Eventually, Buck and the rookie get into a goshog and then they also eventually get into a scorpion and i like at one point uh buck states that they're going to glass the planet just like reach so like granted we knew that but it's like ooh, how does buck know that are we gonna get a cameo what's going on here Mm -hmm. i I always thought that that little detail was cool because also at one point i also remember that there's graffiti that says remember reach so Mm -hmm. they're trying to give you like hey we have another game coming out after this just so you guys know but yeah, so at one point, 
you know, I think it's Mickey is like, hey, listen, we had to move because the Covenant are all coming in. So that's when they all take an exit and they find themselves at that uh, nature reserve. Mm -hmm. And this is where the team makes their final stand in a firefight with multiple waves of Covenant because, you know, firefight's a thing in this game. Mm -hmm. And yeah, so eventually once they take them all out, the team then boards the Phantom and make their way out of the city. Uh, though they have to force Virgil onto the Phantom. And yeah, because he's like, I don't want to go on that. He's like, oh no, I'm trying to leave <laughs> these guys. Get out of here. Yeah. And, and during this all happening, like there's a Covenant cruiser like right above them. Like it's almost terrifying. It, mm -hmm. it almost reminds me of uh, an Independence Day, you know, when all those yeah. come. And it, I only know that because I just watched it last night. But so I can reference that in this episode, of course. But yeah, <laughs> so it was like terrifying to see. So, you know, eventually they get them on, you know, everyone's on the, the Phantom and they get out of there. So I love right before Buck gets on, he looks to the rookie and he says, what can I say? It was one hell of a night. And then, you know, that, that, that three notes, that's kind Thank of the you. theme Thanks of for everything. that. I appreciate that. <laughs> I thought I was dying. So, yeah, while they're on the, the Phantom, Dare says, you know, she sees, you know, the Covenant have found what they're looking for. Mm -hmm. And Buck asks, you know, well, what about you? And she says, you know, when we win this war, I'll be able to answer it. And they, they hold hands and they go off into the sunset. So I think that was like, I, I love that's kind of how they end it. Is, you know, she says, once we win, we'll figure this out. I love it. And and I'm going to talk more about it like when I get my little soapbox talk about this. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I mean, this this ends the beautifully cliched story mm -hmm. of yeah. kind of each character. Because each character was over portrayed on kind of, you know, being the, the machismo character mm -hmm. or like the love interest character type stuff. So I thought that was just like a, a fitting end for it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So let's move on to trivia. I think this is this right here is my favorite trivia for this whole game. So as the ODST exit the elevator at the very beginning of the mission, there will be a poster to the left of Earth and a moon with with a little Destiny Traveler on it, mm -hmm. very minute, and it says, Destiny Awaits. Now, this was put there by designer Chris Barrett, who at the time figured that, you know, Destiny was so early in development that the name was going to change. Oh, he so he did it as a joke. Yeah. And no one in the Destiny team knew. I think only two or three people at a, a company with hundreds of employees mm -hmm. knew about it. And so, you know, he was just like, oh, I guess it made it into the game. But when ODST was ported to MCC, 343 Industries would take the poster off of the game and replace it with a poster of Earth saying for her. Boo. Frank O'Connor's like, oh, we don't, we don't own Destiny, so we can't put that there. And it's like, no, no BS. You, no. you want to you shed like any... Outside projects off mm, of this. Yeah, which, I mean, that's hilarious. Come on. Also, why not do a cooler thing? Like, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Either way, it was, it was so silly, and I thought that was so cool. And I think the best part was, is, like, the guy was like, if Harold Ryan knew about this, he would have said no. Like, oh, yeah. The fact that he did it, and it just made it into the game, like, that's rare to happen nowadays. And the fact that he could do that, like amazing. Mm -hmm. So also, if you're trying to get one of the Vidmaster challenges, I forget whichever one it is, but on four-player legendary, the, once you get on the highway, if the player goes to the tunnel to the right, the first one, you'll find four mongeese, mongoose, mongeese, whatever. Mongershers. Mongershers. And there will be rockets with infinite ammo. Tried many hours to get this, and I was never able to get this Vidmaster challenge. Hashtag so. tiny walkthrough. Hashtag tiny. I like that. Hashtag <laughs> tiny walkthrough. I like that. Yeah, so then we have the epilogue. So 
It's now Oni Orbital Facility one month after drop. I still love that it's referencing that first drop. One, you know, one month afterwards. Yeah, it, it gives us the, the the frame of reference point. It's similar to what mm-hmm. the books do. Mm-hmm. It yeah. gives us the reference point in each chapter, like where yeah, yeah. and when. Yeah. I love it. So yeah, then Darren Johnson, you know, we see Darren Johnson talking and you're like, oh God, it's Johnson. And you're trying to think, you're like, yeah, this makes sense in the timeline. And so they enter a room with Virgil surrounded by the rest of Alpha 9. I believe the rookie is once again napping. Mm-hmm. Love that detail. So Johnson throws a lighter over to Virgil and Virgil catches it. And he says, you know, listen, you're going to help me take out the Covenant. You're going to tell me what they're doing, what's so interesting about that crash site. And we're going to take them out together. So... Virgil lights the cigar and then they that's how it ends that's how the game like officially ends which is just like amazing like mm-hmm. the, this this Hergok likes lights a cigar like how cool is that it, it's such like it's such like that that cool badass ending like mm-hmm. Johnson's in there and like this is like the thumbs up from the Hergok it's like you're yeah. gonna help me you're gonna do this he's like gotcha yeah cause I love he even says at one point he says I know what the aliens like <laughs> <laughs> So yeah, so the trivia for this is during that cutscene, if the player toggles their joystick to the left, they'll see Buck petting and touching that caveman that was seen in the first level of Halo 3. I don't know why they added that, but why not? Just, just do it. Just do it. Just do it. Just Nike it up. Yeah. So then finally we have the legendary ending. So it starts with the Prophet of Truth. He's entering the tunnels beneath the city surrounded by Hergok, those same tunnels that you got Virgil mm-hmm. and Dare out of. And he smiles as he sees a forerunner structure being uncovered underneath the city, which is, you know, setting the tone for Halo 3. Like, mm-hmm. awesome. I, I, it's just so cool. Like, we're bringing back these dead characters just to give a little insight into what happened in Halo 3. Like, so cool. Well, yeah, to, to actually show, like, what's going on, mm-hmm. to give little tidbits of hints, and, and just... And that's why, like, regardless of what people say about this game, these little things are so cool to have and see, mm-hmm. and are completely unnecessary in a way, but they help tell the story better. Yeah, and that officially wraps up the campaign with the epilogue and the legendary ending. Now, let's take this back a little bit. Um, if you guys have been listening this whole time, you've, you've noticed we haven't really hashtag detailed walkthrough for you. You had a mini walkthrough. You had a mini walkthrough. There's that. But obviously, there's the audio logs. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so we put something really, really nice together with this. We we scoured the internet. We made sure that all this was correct. Mm-hmm. That was one of our biggest points. We wanted to make sure that we knew we had everything going for us and we had it all laid out. So here we have the hashtag super ultimate extra hyper detailed walkthrough. Electric boogaloo. Two. Yes. So we're at the audio logs. Mm-hmm. So 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 with our hyper electric boogaloo shugaloo uh, detailed walkthrough, whatever mm-hmm. I said earlier, use, use whichever one you want. Yeah, just throw one in there. It's great. We'll break it down for you. These audio logs can be found throughout the streets of New Mombasa. Mm-hmm. Clues would be given in the form of the city itself interacting when you got close to an audio log. Originally, the audio logs were going to be easy to find. But early playtests and feedback found that it wasn't fun when the audio logs were too easy to find, and the same being said when they were too hard. It m- makes sense, because if mm-hmm. it's too easy, you're like, this is just a chore now. Yeah. It's, it's like a chore in a game, where you're like, oh, it's one of those shitty missions. Yeah. All right, let's find all the flags in Assassin's Creed. All right, let's yeah. go find this thing. Yeah, well, there, there's like three main ways that you can find them, or that there's clues, is that the roadblocks start popping up and down. Mm-hmm. 
if the ATMs are shooting out coins, and then if a phone is ringing. Those are three indicators for sure. And anytime you find one of them, as we talked about, you get a weapons cache afterwards. Yeah. And, and, and so um, going to this hashtag hyper detailed walkthrough for you guys, all of these, so there's 30 in total. Mm-hmm. They're all found in various parts of the city. Yes. Perfect. So the story revolves around Sadie and her father, (laughs) who built the AI that runs the city during the initial Covenant invasion, all while uncovering the corruption of the new Mombasa police. This was to show the civilian side of the war. Mm -hmm. Once again, bring us back to that police officer, bring us back, what, these police got a pelican... You know, yeah. where's his money going? Where's his money going? Yeah, so that's the hashtag hyper super realistic Dragon Ball Z walkthrough. Yeah. Uh, so Honestly, find them yourself. They're online. But, and we're also not going to tell you the 30 locations. They're online. But <laughs> they're online. Just find them. So, so now let's move on to the cut material. So this is very surprising. Almost the most unbelievable thing I actually found was rain. Now, originally, there was supposed to be rain, but the Halo 3 engine couldn't render the amount of rain that the studio wanted. So it was up to the sound department to not only emulate the sound of rain coming down, but even in little things you did. So, like, whenever you're walking, the the sound that your boots make on the ground is actually, you know, they recorded boots stepping on a wet area. And later, when it stops raining, the sound changes. So you actually see no real rain in there, but the fact that they had to be creative about it, I think is pretty cool with that. And again, that was so surprising to me that rain is like one of the first things you think of when you think of the game ODST, but yet there's actually no rain. So the next big thing that was actually cut was dual wielding. Apparently, the only insight I could find from this was Paul Bertone saying, yeah, Paul doesn't like dual wielding, so we cut it. That's so silly. <laughs> well, th- I, I've also read that the logic was, you know, uh, a spiker, mm-hmm. for instance, for a normal human is a two-handed weapon. Sure. So stuff like that, mainly, you know, humans, I guess, are too weak to hold any regular covenant weapon that could be dual wielded. So, yeah, but see, this is the signal of the death of dual wield. <laughs> it's 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 starting the balls in motion. But it makes sense. Like, but why can't? Uh, whatever. Yeah, continue well, on. Whatever. I can argue about this all day. Yeah, and maybe we will later in a different episode. All day today. Yeah. <laughs> at eight o'clock at night. Yeah. So rechargeable health, as we talked about, you know, that was originally going to be in the game, and they cut it. This is cool. I kind of wish they kept it is before they had audio logs, the player was going to be able to find skulls, and whenever they would find one, a developer commentary would play in the background about what area you're in. So That'd be, that'd be pretty cool. So that's like, they're, so like, they're cool. like developer skulls, right? That's kind of mm-hmm. what they're yeah, pointing them. Yeah, and I thought, I thought that was so cool. But the fact that that got cut, eh, whatever. One day, one day. But next thing that was cut was motion tracking, and we also had elites that were cut. You know, mm-hmm. we only saw those dead bodies. Now, player usable equipment was cut. So we could see brutes using bubble shields and EMP drain, but players couldn't use those. Yeah, I don't know if that. Ma- That's tough. Mm-hmm. Um, I agree with it to a point, but at the same time, like, you'd more than likely just have Marines setting up those trip mines or setting up those things and not mm-hmm. like a Spartan just tossing them out wherever they can. Yeah, yeah. But, but I'm okay with it. Yeah. Now, two things that had to do with the garbage truck were cut. Originally, the garbage truck was going to be able to be drivable by the player. Mm-hmm. And this other thing is also very interesting. 
garbage trucking. This was a concept from Michael Wu that would involve the garbage truck scene in the last mission. So it was going to be a game type where the player would have to go retrieve items and take them back to the truck. Wasn't there literally a board game about this at one point? I don't know. Yeah, I mean, there's also various game types that are like, you have to fill this thing to leave. Mm-hmm. I mean, even think of uh, like Payday 2, where it's like on certain missions, you have to like get enough of this certain thing, take it to this truckload, and then you can escape the mission. Yeah. But yeah, so so that concept was cut early on, though, but they, they almost did it. One of the final things that was cut was the flood. We had no flood in here because there was no flood on Earth, uh, you know, at the time of, mm-hmm. of this game. Now there were later on, but not at the time. So the final thing was that though rumors of a DLC were kind of around. We're, but, we're stewing. Yeah, Bungie confirmed that they would not be able to do an ODSD DLC due to all the resources for Halo being put into their final project reach. People played this game. They're like, more. Yeah. They're like, more, more, more. And they're just like, no. But you'll like the next thing that's coming out. And, and people did. Mm, yeah. And I think fans, I mean, obviously, like, like we said, as we're recording this, Midnight Tonight. Midnight Tonight, yeah. Is when we're getting the sequel to ODST uh, so, Part 2. Yeah. So, Electric Boogaloo. I, I'd say, <laughs> no, not a literal one. but V2. With that 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 same feel, you yeah. know? People felt the same way about ODST that they do Reach. Uh, but yeah, so that being said, now let's move on to, you know, we'll just touch on the achievements. So Halo 3 ODST would have a total of 99 achievements adding up to a thousand gamer score so you know you had ones for campaign completion uh you even had ones you know just finding anywhere from the first clue to all the clues completing any level like rookie was complete every level in the game on easy difficulty i obviously had that one thank you and that's it you had your part-time ones so pretty much everything you've had in your classic halos mm-hmm, yeah part-time uh, part know, score yeah so you've got all those and then <laughs> In my opinion, it's kind of a cop-out, but I like the names of them, is the audio logs. Yeah, you get one... You get five points for... Every one you find. All 29, and then at 30, it's 10, and then for finding 30, it's 10 as well. Mm -hmm. So you find the 30th, and you technically find all 30 you get 20 gamer score for it. Yeah. And then you have campaign challenges like Naughty Naughty, Kill 10 Engineers, you know, or, well, maybe one or two, which is Kill 25 Engineers. Got that one. Uh, catch them Nabbing, which is Kill 5 Sleeping Grunts on a Mombasa Street. Xenophobia, which is complete any level without using Covenant Weapons. You actually just got that I one. Just got that one. You just got that one. Just playing around. So, you know, like, nice little stuff like that. And then, you know, you have stuff like... Uh, campaign playlist which is complete a halo 3 odst playlist anything like that easter egg ones as well these are these are more the mcc ones and then you had the some vid master challenges and then my favorite one of course is uh do you remember when we met five points which is play a game of halo 3 odst on the 22nd of any month uh the bane of achievement hunters needs and wants because like <laughs> if you don't like the, so every halo game has one of these Played on the 11th, played on the 17th, played yeah. on this date, played on the 4th. And it's... Every time I log into MCC, I get I get a new achievement. And you're like, oh, cool. I logged on on the day when it came out. Perfect. <laughs> um, you know, which kind of brought us into one thing that ODST didn't have, even though they had all these cool medals and these achievements and whatnot, they didn't have their own multiplayer. So multiplayer for ODST was on a second disc Halo Mythic. 
This disc would also include all multiplayer maps, DLC included, along with Forge, Theater, and Fileshare. It would also include three new maps, Heretic, Citadel, and Longshore. Praise Frank. Praise Frank. Praise Frank. Frank. Blessed be. Blessed be. And new achievements, which we're on the same engine as Halo 3, which made it pretty simple to port any and all of this over Mm -hmm. for the multiplayer aspect. So ODST in and of itself did not have multiplayer, but it did have the second disc of Halo Mythic, which was like Halo 3 Ultimate Edition, if you want to call it something like that. that It it just had no campaign. Yeah, exactly. So it's Halo Halo 3 Multiplayer Ultimate Edition. So it had all the maps. It had everything that you needed. Mm Sans the campaign. Yeah, well, but since it was, you know, Halo 3 or T used the same engine, there was no way that it could have its own standalone multiplayer. Exactly. Like, there was no way. Because there was no point to do it in and of itself. Yeah. And, you know, because they couldn't share the same disc for it. Uh, Firefight also uses the same network code as Halo 3's multiplayer. So, like, having that net code in there and mm-hmm. trying to, like, be, is it Firefight? Is it this? It would, it would be way too hard to marry the two together, so it just made sense to do two pieces of media instead of one. Mm-hmm. Bungie did want to make Firefight an Xbox Live multiplayer experience, but unfortunately did not have the time to implement this to their regret. Mm-hmm. Though, they stated they wanted Firefight to bring back the sense of land parties, like the CE days, a.k.a. this is also their cop-out of... We want the old school couch co-op days. <laughs> yeah. This would leave uh, ODST to have a shorter lifespan than any other Halo title at the time. They would look to reach to make up for it. And that makes sense. Yeah, they, they did state like we wish. We, it, it, at the end of the day, it came to they just didn't have the time. And yeah. they said we wish we had the time. Understandable. Uh, so by buying Halo 3 ODST, it's actually cheaper than buying all the Halo 3 map packs. The disc contained 24 Halo 3 maps. So it made sense. Mm-hmm. Even if you were just like, oh, okay, I want to play the Halo 3 multiplayer. It's like, just get ODST mm-hmm. and just do it that way. Yeah. So now let's move on to one of the most important things that have come from Halo 3 ODST, which is Firefight. As long as I get played clips twice in a podcast, it's all I ask for now. <laughs> I just want my really dumb references thrown in here. Yeah. So Firefight would be born from ODST, taking inspiration from Halo Combat Evolve's Truth and Reconciliation Gravity Room. Though many would compare this new mode to Horde from Gears of War, mm-hmm. Bungie claims that they conceptualized Firefight mode before Horde came out. They were talking about this in Halo 3. Yeah, and I think this also kind of boils down to what's the new hot mode going to be? Mm-hmm. It's the same thing we saw with Battle Royales. It's the same thing we're seeing with auto battlers now is someone kind of has this concept, but everyone's already kind of been thinking about it mm-hmm. because it's like, what's the next thing we do? Yeah. So, you know, this would help push the squad mentality and co-op gameplay that they really advertise for the game. Paul Bertone was actually against the idea at first due to their already limited resources, but Bungie employee Tim Williams would build the first prototype for Firefight and Paul was sold afterwards. So the first prototype was actually tested at the end of the first mission in Halo 3. So they they Mm -hmm. used that area as the first Firefight map, and I can see that. So this would also push the campaign level designs to work as firefight maps as well as, you know, just regular campaign areas. So they had to reuse, they reused those assets. Sure. So another initial inspiration for firefight was utilizing campaign scoring as some employees felt it was overlooked in Halo 3 along with adding all the current medals and adding new ones. And medals would actually add more points to your score. So 
you know, that, that was a big thing they were all proud of for Halo 3. They're like, we're going to do campaign scoring. Everyone's like, who cares? Yeah. And they're like, we're going to make you care. Well, and now they did. And, and it made it for Firefight. Mm-hmm. So Firefight was broken down into surviving sets or waves of enemies. Each set would have three rounds, and each round would have five waves of enemies. Throughout the sets, skulls would appear or disappear to make things harder. So you could have like the blind skull or you know various other skulls that would make you limited ammo. You couldn't see what you're doing. It just threw a wrench in it that made it fun, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Players would also have an ammunition and health area, but these resources were finite and would only reset when the players completed a round. Mm-hmm. Though enemies in the waves are random, the first wave would always be either grunts or jackals, and the fifth wave would always be chieftains. Music would also play during firefight matches, making it a little, little jazzed up, a little fun. A little fun. Yeah. Players were able to customize their characters for firefight using armor based on playable ODSTs in the campaign. If a player pre-ordered ODST, they would also have the aforementioned Johnson mm-hmm. in firefight, which who wouldn't want to be Johnson yeah, at he, this point? Mm-hmm. Some maps are available at the start of the campaign, and the rest are unlocked as you progress through the campaign. So it kind of makes you want to push to, like, finish it. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, there's only three people out there that bought this for firefight mode, so they're just like, "Uh uh-uh, gotta play the campaign too. Yeah. (laughs) Additionally, some maps have night variants to change up gameplay and the ability to use the visor. Like iPhone dark mode. Exactly. Uh, iPhone got their inspiration from this game to do dark they, mode. They won't say the they way. did. They said they were already thinking about it before Firefight came <laughs> out, but they knew. All stats from each game and the player's overall progress would be available on Bungie.net. These stats included individual medals, favorite weapon, heat maps on the map of enemies killed and where they were killed, and much, much more. I love the heat map. Mm-hmm. Friends list leaderboards were also included in Firefight, making you say, haha, beat ya. Mm-hmm. And Bungie would state that they do regret not making Firefight once again a multiplayer experience over Xbox Live. But, I mean, they had to work with what they did. True. Yeah, and then just a little thing to add on to that. Players could only make it to 99 sets, though I don't think anyone ever has. Then again, a quick Google search could change that. But, yeah, I, I like I, they, they were definitely like, no one's ever going to make it to that. If we get... A hundred patrons, Jesse and I will grind until we get to 99 sets. Yeah, we're not saying on what difficulty, but yeah, no. Yeah, so now let's let's break down the maps really quickly. This isn't like a multiplayer, or this isn't like a usual multiplayer thing. Mm-hmm. Like, these maps are taken from the campaign, so the lore is what you see when you play it. So, you know, the first one is Alpha Site. This map is based off the sixth mission, Oni Alpha Site, and can be unlocked after completing the mission. Mm-hmm. Weapons you're going to find are shotgun, sniper rifle, rocket launcher, suppressed SMG, automag, and frag grenade. So then the next map, we have Chasm 10. This map is based off the ninth level in the campaign Data Hive. Weapons that are included are rocket launcher, sniper rifle, suppressed SMG, the suppressed pistol, frag grenade, and a heavy machine gun. Now we have Crater. This map is based on the third mission, Tayari Plaza. And the Crater's layout is uh, reused in Halo Reach's level New Alexandria in the Club Arrera. So kind of always awesome to see stuff like that so the weapons are sniper rifle the suppressed pistol suppressed smg mounted gun uh frag grenades and a rocket launcher 
The next map we have is Last Exit, and this map's layout is identical to the one of four survival maps in Marathon 2 Durandal. Mm -hmm. This map is also the location of one of the ODST's last stand in the uh, campaign level Coastal Highway. Now, you know, beat that mission, you unlock this one. So, one easy strategy on this map is to board an enemy ghost and use it to shoot and splatter difficult enemies, including chieftains and hunters, which I don't think you could originally do in Halo 3 or even Reach. I could be wrong. I know for sure not Halo 3. So the ghosts are small enough that they can also move up stairways. So Mm -hmm. if you want to kind of like break the map a little bit, go for it. Weapons are sniper rifle, rocket launcher, suppressed SMG, the suppressed pistol, frag grenade, and the heavy machine gun. And next on our list, we have Lost Platoon. On the walls inside some of the garages, or garages, one can see work schedule tables identical to ones in the Traxxas Factory Complex 09 during Halo 3's campaign level, The Storm, and multiplayer level, Foundry. Scoring 200,000 points or more on this map awards the player with the Lost Platoon achievement. The name is a reference to the campaign level, Uplift Reserve, as this is the location during the mission where you locate the quote-unquote lost second platoon. The map and the huge amount of points one can score by destroying a chopper was made fun of in a bungee update. Choppers on Lost Platoon don't count. I love this level because this is like my little holdout level. Mm -hmm. And it's just so fun blowing this stuff up. Mm -hmm. Side fact. Hashtag Alex fact. (laughs) The Halo Reach firefight map Beachhead might have been inspired by Lost Platoon. Maybe. We'll never know. Weapons on this include the Spartan Laser, Sniper Rifle, Suppressed SMG, Suppressed Pistol, Frag Grenades, and then you also have a Warthog on there. And next on the list, we have Rally Point. This is one of two firefight maps in Halo 3 ODST to have both day and night variants, the other being Crater. During the night version of this map, the doors to the Oni Center are closed. Obviously, it's nighttime. No and one's ever, there. Everyone's home. Everyone's, they're not working. It is possible to control the Wraith in this level, even though it is supposed to explode when the driver is killed. Weapons on here, we've only got a couple. We've got the suppressed pistol, suppressed SMG, rocket launcher, the heavy machine gun, and the sniper rifle. And next on our map, we have Security Zone. And Security Zone is based on the campaign level Oni Alpha Site, set in the city of New Mombasa. And weapons on here that we're going to be looking at, we have the sniper rifle, we have the Spartan laser, rocket launchers, silenced SMGs, frag grenades, and silent pistols so it's a pretty cool layout for this one i really like this because there's a bunch of different like not hills i guess yeah hills stairs it's like a park basically mm. you kind of go around it you've got some other really fun stuff with it to play around with to to kind of kite a lot of like the grunts and other characters around with you it's a fun one it's really enjoyable yes and so some tips with it which i which i really enjoy is that a lot of the times if you're playing couch co-op you basically have someone snipe way back and you just kind mm. of dart around, try and find some stuff, shoot what you can. Uh, it's a good map. Yeah. It's top, you know what? It's, it's a it's a top quality map, some might say. Top quality. Some top might quality. say. Some might say it sucks. Alex is top but I say, quality. But I say it's top quality. <laughs> and finally, we have Windward, which is based on the campaign level, the New Mombasa Police Department headquarters, mm-hmm. which is, uh, it's an okay. I think it's okay. It's a fun map. So weapons on there, you have the silenced pistol, rocket launcher, suppressed SMG, the shotgun, and one that we don't see too often is the missile pod. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And uh, so it's, it's a pretty pretty good one. I think this. it's the only mission, or that's the only time it's available in the campaign. Yeah, I think that's one that you're really seeing that I 
think that they kind of just placed it there to have some fun. Yeah. And enjoy. Uh, so achievement on this one as well, you can get score over 200,000, you get the windward achievement worth 10. So it's pretty much, if you score 200,000 on your maps, you get an achievement. There you go. Uh, so some trivia for you. It's currently the only firefight map in which players start with a sniper rifle as a primary weapon rather than the silence SMG magnum combo. Hmm. Uh, and there is a face visible on the side of the cliff below where the rocket launcher spawns. Hashtag random, uh, random fact walkthrough. Shoot him in the face. Do it. <laughs> and if the player looks on the floor inside on the upstairs health room, there are two different ID badges that have photos of Bungie's employees on them. Oh, getting lazy. Instead of constructing real faces, you're just reusing them. That's Whatever. A, eh, that's Whatever. That's what you got to do. <laughs> so now let's move on to what I always say is my favorite portion of our game episodes, which is the music. Mm-hmm. So Martin O'Donnell had this to say about the music. No monks. There can be no monks in this thing. Hey, you got to get away from it. <laughs> you got enough of it already. Yeah. So when first presented with this project, O'Donnell was actually excited to start working on some new themes. So O'Donnell would state that like any soundtrack, Bungie would give him a firm direction, but he would just, you know, run wild with it in the end. Mm-hmm. They'd be like, this is how we want it to sound. And he's just like, no, and <laughs> just do his own thing. Yeah. This would be the first soundtrack that did not feature any, you know, any music from the previous games, any previous game ever, other than, you know, you can make that argument, Siege of Magical came in, but that was more of an Easter egg. It was still you know? an Easter egg that continues through the games. Yeah. Because this is the first where it was a... F- They're all original scores, but it's the first original, unused, any other asset score. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so, you know, as he said, you know, I he didn't want any monk chants in the soundtrack. Mm-hmm. Just, you know, to completely differentiate it from all the rest. So O'Donnell would take the noir aspect of ODST into full force when it came to the soundtrack. Even though the music is often associated in ODST with jazz, Martin O'Donnell would state that it isn't jazz. Rather, it's how jazz makes him feel. And he said, in quotes, how it feels to be all alone in the city at night in the rain. He would also state that this soundtrack is supposed to be more intimate and personal. Fun fact, it was Joe Statton's idea to have saxophone in the game as early as pre-production was beginning. So, you know, he was like, it's going to be noir. Let's do jazz because that's always the mm-hmm. cliche thing. Rainy night. So, yeah. And but he's like, what about a little bit of brass for some ska style in there? <laughs> and that's what it became. But yeah, and all the jazzy themes... Uh, you know, people call them the new Mombasa themes. Mm-hmm. Martin O'Donnell said that he wrote those for the rookie's character. Those are also almost like his themes. So cool. Yeah. So Marty O'Donnell said that he was uh, also inspired by Gershwin's Piano Prelude Number no. 2, Debussy's Piano Prelude, De Passu Leur Nege, and Afro-Cuban percussion pieces. So he kind of took a lot of inspiration. He also said that he would look to Blade Runner as inspiration when it came to the feel and the tone of the game. Definitely see that. So he, as I said, he just, everything but the kitchen sink came Mm -hmm. into this soundtrack. So originally, O'Donnell wanted no enemies in the nighttime streets of New Mombasa. But one day, he was going through the campaign, and he was upset to see enemies attacking the rookie right after the player comes back from the flashbacks. 
Paul Bertone insisted that there needed to be enemies in the city because it was too empty and boring without them. So O'Donnell said, let's compromise Mm -hmm. and insisted that instead there be some enemies, but the player would discover them as they explored. Then the music could change whenever they encountered the enemy. That was the original concept, but they could never have the music change whenever they discovered the enemy. Yeah, there'd be a lot of, I mean, there'd be a lot of proximity coding. Yeah, but yeah, either way, like, Paul wanted enemies immediately. Martin O'Donnell wanted zero enemies because I guess he literally was like, what are you doing? They can't focus on my music then. And I'm not even kidding when I'm telling you that Marty O'Donnell thinks of his music very highly. There's nothing wrong with that, but I'm saying Mm -hmm. to the point that these were the kind of arguments that were happening during development. He was like, they can't focus on my music Mm -hmm. if they're fighting the enemies. So that's when they're like, okay, let's give them some time to soak it all up, which I think was perfect. Yeah. Because if there would have been no enemies, I would have probably never finished this game. Well, or or people just like sped run and like going through, like not exploring the city at all. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like who would even care about finding any of the audio logs when it's like, what? I just need, like this is, this is the loading screen to the next mission. Yeah, essentially. Yeah. So the soundtrack was recorded from winter to spring of 2009. And even though that there were five to six total hours of score composed for the game, only two hours would make it to the final release of the soundtrack, which was released September 22nd, 2009 by Something Else Music Works. This would be the first time that a Halo soundtrack would be released the same day as the game. Because now it's gotten to the point, you remember back in Combat Evolved and Halo 2, it was unsure whether or not, like, mm-hmm. it was suggested, and they're like, really? Like, we should do that? Now it's, you know, I mean, it, it's so much part of video game culture, is the soundtrack. Well, it is. I mean... It, there's plenty of playlists for it, but like when you hear a game theme and you immediately know what it is, it's mm-hmm. the same deal as like having like TV themes and movie themes. I mean, you hear Mission Impossible, you you know what it is. Yeah. So whenever you hear those monk chants or whenever you hear some sweet, sexy saxophone in the rain, you know what game series you're playing. Yeah. And so music from ODST would be performed with a live musical orchestra at the video game's live concert performance at Paramount Theater in Seattle, I think, early, sometime early 2019. Mm-hmm. So. 2019? 2009. Rain and From the Ashes are some of O'Donnell's favorite tracks from the soundtrack. Now, it would go on to win 2009 Spike Video Game Awards Best Original Score and 2009 Czech Gaming Awards Best Original Score in Sounds. When it came to the overall soundtrack... Michael Salvatore had this to say. It was a bit intimidating at first because in previous Halo games, if new ideas weren't coming, I could always dust off an old one and give it a new spin. I was afraid that we might hit some writer's block along the way, but that didn't happen at all. Instead, we had the freedom to explore new musical territory and the ideas flowed pretty quickly. Which is beautiful. I mean, it's so cool to be able to kind of put that together and culminate everything that you pretty much neat mm-hmm. yeah. which is awesome so this brings us to the release versions and there were multiple release versions even up until almost today mm-hmm. uh, so we had the standard version which is your regular $60 run of the mill game mm-hmm. the collector's pack uh, this version would include a special Halo 3 ODST Xbox 360 controller in one of the weirdest packaging choice ideas out there it was bizarre it was like a long plastic thing you'd put scissors in that's a really yeah. terrible description but it's like a snap pack that was Go- too long google it it's odd it's weird you had the platinum hits 
you had the Xbox Elite Bundle Pack. This included an Xbox Elite, a copy of Halo 3, Halo 3 ODST, and access to the Halo Reach multiplayer beta, so trying to push that. Your invite. Yeah, exactly. Then you had it on Master Chief Collection. So it wasn't there initially, but on May 30th, 2015, the game was added as an apology for the rough launch of the MCC. Oh, we all remember. Oh, yes, we did. And so in in preparation for the Halo Reach beta, ODST would see a price drop in the UK from, on average, 60 US dollars to 20 US dollars. And in the US, it would drop $60 to $40. So the UK, they were like... Just take it. <laughs> take it off our hands. Just we don't care. Go for it. Yeah. So now, finally, we have the general reaction of the game. So at E309, many journalists would state that ODST and Firefight demos were much more than they had expected after seeing gameplay. The hype behind ODST was so big that Capcom would delay the release of their game Dark Void because it originally was supposed to release a week after ODST. Gears of War 3 would also delay its release due to Epic not wanting to compete with Bungie's marketing. OTX conducted a survey and would see that ODST was on the top of the list a few months before its release when it came to most look for or most wanted games. Crazy. Yeah. So like Halo 3, multiple celebrities would want to see demos of ODST at E3. So celebrities like the cast of Chuck, Jason Sudeikis, Soldier Boy, name I haven't heard in a while. Barry Bonds. <laughs> that's that's my favorite. That's Barry Bonds, but he he's a tree. <laughs> it's, it's BA, but I like Barry Bonds better. I goofed. Victoria Beckham's son, the game, and Steven Spielberg. Gotta see what's going on. Yeah. So even though there were some marketing issues, ODST would prove to be a commercial success and a welcome addition to the Halo franchise by fans. According to Bob McKenzie, Senior Vice President of Merchandising for GameStop, pre-orders for the first day sales absolutely exceeded their expectations. And this led the game to sell over 3 million copies, 2 million of which were worldwide in the first 24 hours outselling Killzone 2 making mm-hmm. it the top-selling game of September 2009. Almost 1 million players would play the game in the first 24 hours it sold. It would sell over 271,000 copies in the second month with a number 6 spot on the October 2009 video game sales list. ODST would even sell 30,000 copies in Japan. Now, I included that because all until Halo 3... Halo wasn't really successful in the Japanese market, and I think Halo 3 sold, like, 54,000 copies, so mm-hmm. you gotta think, like, it was up there. Well, well, the Xbox in of itself wasn't that successful in Japan, mm-hmm. correct? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but, so it was just, like, even in, like, that separate market, it was still pretty popular. Yeah, and many, though, would fault ODST on its lack of content and changes in name and marketing in the early stages of the game. Even Bethesda's Ashley Cheng would state that though he was excited for the game, the marketing was mismanaged. Most lower scored reviews would cite the price point as a huge part of their dismay with the game. Which, listen, at the time, you you had this, this, this Halo giant mm-hmm. who was making these great campaigns that had excellent multiplayer that would carry over to Xbox Live. I, I get it to a point. It's, yeah. okay, you sold us DLC maps for Halo 3, and you gave us a campaign without Master Chief. I think it's kind of BS, because games journalism at the time was still kind of weird. Mm-hmm. Whatever. Though, many fans were glad to see a break from the story of Chief. I know I was. I know you were. 
and get a grounded story from the Halo universe in the form of a game. Bungie would not receive any emails or questions regarding the Chief's absence. Pretty nuts. Bungie themselves were actually surprised on how well the game was received, and it makes sense, because it wasn't Chief game. Over 100 copies of the game were sold early at a French retail shop a month before the game's release. Of course. As it, it's, you know, it's France. The last time <laughs> it was France. The time before that was France. France, good job. Stop it. I love it. Though it was unclear how this happened, Microsoft threatened to ban any players who showed any ODST activity on their live account if they didn't legitimately purchase the game, fearing it might show up on piracy-oriented websites. Whatever, Microsoft. Whatever. Get over it. I just wouldn't play an Xbox Live for the week. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So let's talk about the scores. On Metacritic, it got 83 out of 100. On 1UP.com, it got an A-. CVG gave it a 9 out of 10. That stands for cool video games. <laughs> Edge gave it a 9 out of 10. Eurogamer, 8 out of 10. G4, 5 out of 5. G4 is looking out for us. Game Informer will give it a 9.25 out of 10, oddly specific. GamePro would give it a 4.5 out of 5. GameSpot would give it a 9 out of 10. GameSpy would give it a 4 out of 5. Games Radar Plus would give it an 8.5 out of 10. IGN, 8.5 out of 10. OXM 9.5 out of 10, and Team Xbox a 9.4 out of 10. Now, the awards it got, oddly enough, did not get that many awards. Co-Optimist gave it Game of the Year. Visual Effects Society gave it uh, Outstanding Visual Effects and a Video Game Trailer. BAFTA Awards gave it Best Multiplayer, or it got nominated for that. And the Navigator Awards gave Nathan Fillion an Outstanding Performance and a Drama. Yeah, that's, okay. that's that's. I mean, it's there. You have to figure, like, 2009, you saw some big blockbusters coming out. It wasn't the main game. Mm-hmm. It was kind of a side quest to a point. So, I mean, to even get anything is, is really nice to have, and to, like, get the recognition for Nathan Fillion is great. Mm-hmm. So I think, I mean, take the words aside, it's, it's still a top game. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, ODST is now 10 years old, and fans have kept it close ever since, referencing the empty Mombasa streets with a spark of jazz playing in the background as a fond memory they always love to revisit. ODST accomplished what it shouldn't have. It became an overnight success with limited budget, time, and team. Bungie looked to pull on your heartstrings and invest you more than ever into the characters of the story. To this day, the game as a whole will go down as many fans' favorite Halo game. Joe Staten said he didn't know what else he could have done to improve ODST, stating, if I got another two weeks, I guess I would play more ODST. So that's it. That That's the overall Halo 3 ODST. Now we're going to break down, you know, what did we think of it? Mm-hmm. What did we think of the game? Alex, start us off, please. ODST was, I've kind of thrown this list around Discord and a couple other places, but ODST is up there in the top three. I've got Halo 2A just because I, I love what um, Blur's done. And just give the updates, mm-hmm. and then it goes three ODST, yeah. and 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 I, I think it's amazing. I, I love when whether it is a video game or a novel or a TV show can do a spinoff well, mm-hmm. and that's what this was. It was it was still within the same realm of first person shooter. You still kind of felt like you had that same Halo look and feel and control. Mm-hmm. But it gave you a whole other perspective, not only as just an ODST, but as an interesting element story-wise. We get a little bit of that time hop in Halo 2 when we're going between Arbiter and Chief. Time hop in a way, at least a different, yeah. telling two different stories, but not in the way that they do it with this, where they start in the pa- they start 
present day, past. And then eventually you get those two melding. They, yeah, they meet. Which which I think is is a fantastic way to tell a story. It's a fantastic way to kind of tell for any TV shows. There's plenty that do that. They kind of mm-hmm. give you the end and then bring you back on how you got there. Yeah. But this marries both options. Record scratch. Yeah. So you're wondering how I got here. Exactly. So stuff like that. Um, and once again, Firefight is one of my favorite game modes in Halo, period. Mm-hmm. I love tower, wavy defense type stuff like that. And it's fun playing. It was so much fun grabbing some friends and like defending a base mm-hmm. yeah. and, and just playing around and, and getting the medals and stuff like that. And then obviously with the Halo 3 multiplayer, having you know every map, all the different game modes that are out there, it was just such a welcome breath of fresh air for the campaign and a welcome addition to the multiplayer we were already playing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so overall, I, th- I think it's important and I would love to have, and we talked about this a little bit on our games episode, I'd love to have... ODST two, which it could never be. It, you can't, you know, you but, can't get lightning in a bottle twice. No, but I want another story outside of everything. Mm, yeah, yeah, and it, it's been, you know, we haven't really gotten that yet. Something to the level of like Reach or ODST was to me. You know, I I, I think I talked about it in the, in the the very first episode or episode zero. Is you know when I first played this game. I didn't know how to use the visor, and I was like, "This game's stupid." And so, so dark. I, so I threw it, you know, I threw it down and never touched it. And then I, I remember, I complete, I, I played, I completed Reach, and I was sick that day, and I was like, "Okay, what else can I do?" So I, I picked up ODST and I played it again, and I actually second I figured out that X button d- does a lot. Yeah, remember that? Remember that campaign uh, walkthrough deal? Uh, the tutorial that you said you didn't I, like. I, I ignore all those. Mm-hmm. I ignore all those. Mm-hmm. Uh, with that being said, no, I, I I played it. I didn't know Nathan Fillion was in it, so you know that hearing his voice was just like incredible. Yeah, but really, just just it really kind of struck me like this is so different and so against the grain than what Halo is about. Again, like they wanted. They wanted to just do something completely different. I think, you know, Marty, Paul, and Joe, which were three huge contenders for writing this, really took us on an adventure. And then, you know, you had guys coming in like Lars Bakken. You know, this is the first major game he worked on. I think he might have done some Halo 3 stuff. Mm -hmm. But, you know, he also had Dan Miller working on this. And these guys really delivered something incredible. I don't have too many complaints. I know, and it's something I never realized while I was actually writing it all down. Like they did do some copy and paste sections with a game where they took this one section and you just did that three times. Sure. And that was the game. That's Halo Um, in general. You know, I know that there are people out there and this isn't a real complaint. I have this with every episode. Like this isn't a real complaint, but you know, you have Helljumper that creates this chemistry between Dutch and Romeo, mm-hmm. and then when Romeo gets hit in the chest, I mean, Dutch literally does not react in the game whatsoever. Nope. He literally just acts like nothing happened. But you, with little stuff like that, that being said, you know, it's an incredible game. I think it's, you know, now that we keep going through these, you know, I was saying, you know, three is up there for me. Maybe three is my favorite. But it's it's a tie between Reach and ODST for me, and I've had people be like, "Well, it's not a Master Chief story." But the, Halo is not Master Chief. Master no. Chief is a part of Halo. It's such a grand universe, and you know, even that grand universe, they took a story on Earth from Halo Two, and really gave us something that, I, as I said, it resonates with fans, myself included. Yeah, my only gripe going back a little bit is just the kind of stereotypes each character played. 
But I think that was the point. Because... And I think I think it was, and mm-hmm. I, and I think it worked out well. I think it was just a little too tongue in cheek at times with it. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was. It was kind of like that action drama type thing with a love interest, and mm-hmm. there's a goofy character, and there's like a stern character, there's a silent type, and there's like the lovable giant. And it goes back to two after us reading Helljumper and really get to seeing Dutch and Roman's relationship, like call them Romes and stuff like that. And that's never mentioned in ODST. Mm-hmm. Or even like they it's like that comic didn't exist. Because I I'm trying to think of how much insight the writer had to ODST. Mm-hmm. Probably next to none. No, and and you and you have to figure you're writing for a comic, so you have to show these things and you're telling this inner monologue with these two characters that we aren't even, we're not even playing as those characters you know, the whole time in ODST. Like, technically, we are the rookie playing back what mm-hmm. happens to the yeah, other characters. Yeah, it's flashbacks. It's flashbacks. So yeah. it's technically not who we are, even though we were. So it, it I, I think it comes and goes. I think it's it's two different mediums to write for. I think it would have been tough. I would love a little bit better writing, like you said, on that point, to show a little more compassion for all of them. But if you go back to the beginning, when they're like, this isn't my first group mm-hmm. like yeah. people just keep dying so i can't get attached to you yeah so that may even just be something later down the road so yeah. little gripes but it's nothing that yeah is major I, I i don't know i think we see with this in reach like marty o'donnell really helping write the story mm-hmm. uh it, it it was just incredible and i say with joe as well you know the fact that most of those guys said they're proud of it because you know this is their first game halo game as a as a group of bungee employees, as well as, you know, them all saying this was the smoothest ride we had with writing a game. And Joe just loving the story and having Sadie's story in there as well. It was an incredible game. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm going to give this game, I don't know if I've been doing out of 5 or 10s, I can't remember. This one to me is getting a 9.5 out of 10, maybe a 9 just because of, like, the copy and paste levels. Let's say 9.25 out of 10. That's my score. That's pretty good. I would probably give it probably 17 dead Hurrigox as I laugh at it out of 27 discovered audio logs, and I didn't find the rest of them until I had to. <laughs> All right, that's, that's, a, fair, that's a fair score. Mm-hmm. So that's it. That's Halo 3 ODST. Uh, lots of people were looking forward to this episode. We were as well. I mean, we could have spent the past two hours just talking about how much we liked it. It was always, you know, again, so fun to research this game. Episodes are so cool, getting that insight. And it was it was just cool as hell. As I said, uh, over the past weekend, we, we had our Patreon game night. And originally, you know, it, a few of us went and played the first few missions of ODST. And it was really fun. And it was just glad to kind of re-spark that that love for it. Mm-hmm. It was so fun. I also played it on, what did I play it on? Hard? We did hard? Jesse made it through a mission on hard with two people carrying him, but... And it only died once. Heroic, yeah. But yeah, with that being said, it, you know, this was a really fun episode, and thank you for listening. Our next episode, two weeks from now, is going to be Halo Evolutions, which I think, if I'm correct, is the first real thing that 343 Industries did. Mm-hmm. So we'll touch on them just a little bit, but we're really not going to talk about the formation of 343 until we talk about Halo Reach which will be sometime in January. But yeah, and, you know, as always, we're on social media. We're on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. We're on every kind of podcast platform you can think of. 
along with YouTube. So, you know, you can find us anywhere if this is your first time listening. Thank you so much. You know, this is our 19th episode, I believe. You know, so go back, listen to what else we have. If you've been with us since the very beginning, thank you so much. You're the MVP. You know it. And we'll, you know, see you guys during the next public game night. Yeah, and, and, you know, once again, this has been amazing. Jesse and I love doing this, and it couldn't be done without you guys and our amazing, lovely patrons. Mm -hmm. Um, So I just want to give a quick shout-out to them right there. We've got Angry Canadian, Baby Z, Brandon Reshatar, Charles Zitter, Francis, Harvey Chong, Mike, Tactics, Pasquale Orozco, Sean O'Keefe, Skyjack, Slam Duncan 87, and Vexter. You guys are the bomb. And if you all want to join our Patreon, we have a link in our Discord, plenty of links elsewhere. You can ask us for it. You know, it gives us access to episode notes. We're about to record the post show, um, bonus episodes, uh, prints, and all the other stuff that you're seeing right now that we're giving away for ODST is part mm-hmm. of that. It helps us. It definitely helps us fund this and just keep this going for you guys. We love doing it. I mean, we're going to do it regardless. So. We'll always be here for you. We'll just lose less money if you help. Yeah. Plus, if we get more patrons, Jesse and I have to lasso run Halo. So I thought it was just legendary, not lasso. No, it's lasso. Son of a bitch. It's lasso. Speaking of that, join our Discord, by the way. Yeah. Opened all, and we'd love to have you. Let's do it. Yeah. So thank you, guys. Appreciate it. With that being said, I'm your host, Jesse Reiners. And I'm your host, Alex Kendall. And thank you for tuning in to Finish the Fight, a Halo podcast. I think we're just getting started.